Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Tony. And I am Inevitable. And this week we're talking about the latest entry on the 250, which is the Russo Brothers' 2019 biggest movie Biggest opening movie ever, biggest, uh, widest opening movie what? ever, most successful opening weekend ever. This is it, Avengers Endgame. Oh my god, this is all new information for me. <laughs> <laughs> because you've been, yeah, completely disconnected. I've been I mean, trying to avoid uh, this stuff, and uh, almost the only thing that uh, threatened to ruin that was yourself, Darren. Thank you. Uh, Andrew follows me on Twitter, which means he unfortunately gets occasional sound. But uh, it wasn't just you, in fairness. Everybody wanted to talk about it. Um, but yeah, so the Avengers Endgame, which is the sequel to Infinity War, which we talked about with you last year, Tony, mm. um, which Infinity War itself was a huge blockbuster, a mega event film. But this is something else entirely. It opened on 4,600 screens in the United States, which makes it the widest release ever, uh, beating Despicable Me 3. Um, theaters in America, including AMC, were open 24 hours a day over the weekend in order to meet demand for this film's release. It was the first film to have over a billion dollar opening weekend, earning, was it $1.12 billion worldwide, $350 million left in the United States. This is a monster, isn't it? Has anyone not seen it yet? <laughs> yeah, so Tony, you've seen this, right? Yes, actually I have. You, these days it seems like I've never seen the films that I'm talking about, but I have seen this one twice. Twice in the space of a weekend as well, because this is a long film as well. This is three three hours and one minute long, uh, which is quite, you know, which is makes it the longest Marvel movie, but it's also like an event of itself. I think we had a plan to watch this uh, for three hours yesterday and and then be somewhere else while the movie was playing yes that was the um yeah <laughs> our level of sort of synchronicity and planning was not uh, not perfect unfortunately but yeah so let, let's talk a little bit about this because like we've talked about infinity war we discussed infinity war last year like what were your expectations going into this tony like what were you sort of anticipating and like broadly speaking what did you think coming out of it without getting too specific I th- well to answer your first question i think I was expecting something equally as big as Infinity War, if not bigger. Um, And something slightly different because, you know, they'd hinted, the Russos and all the people involved had hinted that it wasn't quite the same film. So, but I expected something of equivalent size. Um, And yeah, coming out of it, I I really enjoyed it. It's got its issues. um, And I wrote a review soon after I watched the film. Um, we we try and pick some of those, but watching it again second time round, uh, both times there were points of real elation and joy and satisfaction and payoff. And as somebody who's followed this since the beginning, since two thousand eight, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, pretty happy. Enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about there just before, even before we get to like the routine three questions that launches into the spoiler zone, because this is in many ways the culmination of a journey that began in 2008 with Iron Man. This is a 22... Was the Incredible Hulk before that? No, Incredible Hulk was actually after that by a few months. Ah. Um, You can tell because Incredible Hulk has a cameo from Robert Downey Jr. at the end. during, During the last week, I've been kind of like trying to catch up on Marvel movies. So it's like, oh crap, I haven't seen Captain Marvel. I better see that, um, and and then and then I was like, okay, now I'm all caught up, and it's like, oh wait, no, I I, I haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp either, 
So I um, was watching that. And then there were a few random ones in between. So it was like, better try and watch The Incredible Hulk too. And and at one point I was watching the telly and Daredevil was on. Oh, Daredevil doesn't count. Daredevil does not count. <laughs> yeah. yeah like I, the most humiliating experience of his life, he said, before Batman versus Superman. He wasn't the worst thing in that movie. <laughs> there, were, there, were, there, were, there were worse things. Uh, yeah. He, but yeah, the interesting thing about this, though, is that it's um, like it is the culmination of that. It's 22 films uh, since 2008. There are people who have grown up with this sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the right. film like works almost as a, as a culmination of that. It's an event. And it's kind of fascinating that you were talking yourself, Andrew, about like... There are people who have grown up with this. And there are people for whom this has kept them from growing up. That, that is also a thing <laughs> well observed. Uh, but I mean, even beyond that, like there's also a sense... Like you talked yourself about like going back and watching the previous movies that you missed in the series in order to catch up so you wouldn't feel left out of this as right. well. Right. Because like, uh, having said that, when we watched Infinity War, I hadn't seen um, Black uh, Panther. Black Panther. Yeah. And I think it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they, they, they kind of do these movies in such a way that you, that you can get away with, with having with missed it. one or yeah. two. But what, uh, it was funny because I, I was at work and, and it, one of my colleagues was talking to me saying, has anyone seen this uh, Avengers movie? I was like, no, I've um, seen it tonight. And it's like, because uh, apparently in order to understand it, you have to watch this other movie, uh, Infinity War. I think I, I think if you watch that, it's fine. Like, And then and, and he was saying, what is shocking? It's terrible. <laughs> I tried to watch it. Watch an hour of it. Yeah, he was talking. Uh, and um, yeah. And um, he he had he had seen he had seen Infinity War and did not approve. He'd seen one hour of Infinity yeah, War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is interesting because um, and again this ties into like a couple of things about this. Like one of the things this feels in many ways like a big monolithic kind of cultural moment. There's been a lot of discussion around, and this is kind of an interesting podcast for the three of us to be discussing because I know Tony, you have seen the latest episode of Game of Thrones when we're recording. Oh my god! Myself and Andrew will be watching it together yeah. later, so we're not we, no spoilers. We've all that. just seen a big battle. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to follow that up by watching a big battle. Well, but I mean, like, there's been a lot of discussion about how, like, this weekend and the weekend in which this was released feels like an event because it's a culmination in some senses of these things that have been running for so long and have become such like a part of the monoculture and there's this argument about like how culture has become we talked a bit about this in the podcast before about things like netflix emerging and this idea of there being so much content these days it's hard to keep track of the marvel cinematic universe and like game of thrones were two things that you could talk about at the water cooler and assume that people knew what you were talking about and while obviously endgame is not the literal endgame the the marvel cinematic universe will continue possibly spoilers maybe i don't know but like this feels like the cap on a certain stage well, of the journey at the very they least. They spoil it before the movie by giving you trailers. Yes, which include trailers for the new <laughs> Spider-Man movie, which yeah. is probably a bit of a problem if you've really invested in Infinity War. But I mean, there is something about that. What do you think, Tony? Is there is this like is this a big cultural moment? Is this an event? How do you separate like Endgame from Endgame, Endgame the movie from Endgame the event? Oh, wow, I, I think I think it is. I mean, I suppose it depends on your reference points. You know, you've got a lot of people who. Are, are invested in all this and you've probably and you've you've got a lot of people who are less invested you know who would uh, maybe argue that it's it's just it's just another ending of a film but i think anyone interested in you know popular culture and these kind of 
big storytelling events. He's gonna he's gonna get a real kick out of out of out of these two things, you know. And I mean, like you say, having just watched Game of Thrones, which isn't even the finale, you know. Like Endgame is the finale no, of, the of what is the, of the, season, the equivalent yeah. of like a a massive season of TV. And as I said I want, in my review, want... almost like a series finale as well. But Game of Thrones is only halfway into its final season, and that that feels like a finale. This latest one, in many ways, so it's. It's a pretty amazing. It's, it's amazing that they've both come along on the same weekend. For one thing, it's just a real kind of alchemy that you've got these two enormous moments in uh, cultural storytelling history that have happened now. So it's very exciting to live through. I'm not going to lie; <laughs> it's really cool. I, I wonder at what point at what point is a studio because I, I, I think about Game of Thrones and how nobody. Nobody really knows what's uh, about to happen because there's so much secrecy. At what point is the studio going to say, um, okay, this is a six-episode run, and then after episode three, just have just the finale. Yeah, just be like, it's end. Like, the next three episodes are the new show that we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually launching a pilot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, th- this is the thing. This is a promo for that new show. <laughs> yeah. uh, we actually lulled you into watching. It's great because the, the, that third episode isn't even a finale. It just <laughs> ends on a cliffhanger. But it's like, well, we're done. We're moving on. <laughs> uh, but like, this this is kind of interesting because, again, this gets the idea of Endgame as a moment or a phenomenon. Because, like, one of the things that's striking about it is on this podcast, we have a zone where we talk about the movie generally and vaguely. And then we talk about it with spoilers. And most of the time, that division is kind of, to a certain extent, arbitrary in that like you know obviously talking about certain movies in a bit of depth is you know you can do that without spoiling you can do that without ruining it for somebody but around avengers endgame and it, it, to a certain extent it was around infinity war as well there's almost an insane level of like paranoia around things like spoilers in hong kong for example on friday a man was beaten up outside a cinema for talking about the movie loudly while leaving it uh, he passed people who were queuing on the way in and apparently they were having none of his talking about the movie while they were getting ready to be- go in and so beat him up. But you had things like the Rousseau brothers issuing letters. We talked about this with Infinity War with Thanos demands your silence. But this time around, it was the hashtag don't spoil the end game. Um, Donald Clark, who is a friend of the podcast, we can say now apparently, but he was he's an Irish, th- he's an Irish uh, film critic. He had the fortune or misfortune to be the first critic to go up on Rotten Tomatoes. And his review is is very broad and very generic. But he was inundated by people who accused him of spoiling the movie for mentioning, like, characters who appeared in it. And we're not talking about, like, revealed characters. We're talking about characters who are, like, you know, you would assume would be in an Avengers movie. And people saying that, look, if it wasn't in the trailer and it wasn't in officially sanctioned documents, then it's officially a spoiler. I don't think, yeah, like, um, I don't think, I've kind of, like, been burnt by reading reviews of movies before yeah like did the, the um the guardian review of oh, the peter Dark bradshaw Rises. is notorious yeah that was uh, that that and 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 it's 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 a word um that 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 captures uh, precisely what, it what like. it's doing yeah because it, it it um it did um it did spoil the movie for me it, 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 um now this wasn't uh spoiled for me because i already knew what was going to happen yeah well, I mean, that, like that, the, the, that's the, the irony of it. Like, yeah, when the, you talk about spoilers for movies like this, like this is the thing where, like, if you've seen the first movie, you know, and you know this, there's a second movie, yeah. it, it kind of you you kind of see where the movie's going. This is one of the interesting things about spoiler culture, which I find fascinating, is that like 
as much as it's about protecting the experience of the movie, a lot of it's around movies that are very predictable. As in, like, you, you know roughly where this movie's going to go. I I appreciate the... Because um, I, I think maybe the thing that that um, that you don't realize is that not every movie is is predictable for uh for 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 everybody and and they like i personally i'm not gonna get i'm not gonna get mad about it but i but i but i but i like to know as little as possible about a movie before going in i don't like i don't like trailers that reveal too much like I, i i i'm i'm liking this new tendency for studios to um make things um, to to put uh, footage in the trailer that's never in the movie. Yeah, and jokes and gags and particularly in comedies. And I mean, we can talk about Infinity War because Infinity War is a, a movie from last year. Infinity War famously mocked up a completely a CGI sequence involving the Hulk, which didn't involve it in the actual movie itself, which was a way of throwing off people who suspected that. There were scenes for Endgame that were actually shot specifically to put in the in the trailer to throw fans off the scent. And that's kind of that's fine, but because it's, for for every trailer, there's going to be like a a an hour and a half long YouTube video to kind of like, at go, every little bit go of through it. kind of here's what we learn yeah from frame the, by frame yeah um, and one of the interesting things though and again this is where I'm a little bit wary of it is like you get stories like you have people like for example uh, Chris Hemsworth uh, famously didn't get to see the only person who got to see the full script of this uh, was Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, all the other actors were only given their scenes and some of the lower ranked actors uh, were only given their scenes on the days that they were shooting them as well, which is an interesting, like, I mean, you know, I don't want to be overly pretentious and I mean, but I also don't want to dismiss the, like, acting as a craft, but like, to know that's, your character's That's not place... so unusual. Okay. Like, like, I, I, I think, I think if, uh, like, so, some of the stuff I've seen online from people who are film critics, such as yourself, is very, it is, I think some of these things are a problem for film critics because um, uh, the, the, the um, kind of uh, problem you have is um, kind of talking about a movie and writing kind of, you know, a meaty uh, review um, uh, with, without spoiling things is, 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 is going to be difficult. And I don't think you should need to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, it, I, yeah, I, I think, I think the, um, um, people, people not wanting movies spoiled. I think it. I think it's more. Um, I think it's more a thing that's inconvenient for for okay. for reviewers. I'd be slightly more cynical about that, but of course I am a reviewer. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd be more like for an actor who's like working on a film to know the full story and also even just to know the full context of what you're doing. Like the Brie Larson filmed her scenes in this before appearing in Captain Marvel. Her first experience of playing Captain Marvel was she was given a sheet on the morning that she showed up and that was what she was performing, which is a strange way to make a movie in my opinion. But I mean, and also even things like you have studios that are weaponizing that to a certain extent, I would argue. So you have things like the Passengers, the movie Passengers, uh, which relies on a development that happens in the second act, which completely changes the nature of the film and is kind of takes it to a much darker place the movie's not able to go. But you have this silence around it that means you can't talk about that in your review of it. So you can't even mention the twist. You can't say that it goes a certain direction without specifying what the direction is because that itself is considered a spoiler which is i i like i i legitimately do see that as a as a challenge when discussing these things but tony what about yourself do you have a thoughts or feelings on this i think with with spoiler culture it's it's difficult isn't it because 
I, I understand. I always understand the arguments about you know wanting to maintain the the feeling of going into something like this and not knowing what what happens by the end and not knowing the crucial beats and things like that. But at the same time, it just it feels like the reaction to all this just gets blown way out of proportion to the point that people forget that you know story isn't all all about having to be protected from discussing it. You know, it's mm. it's not. It's not ultimately it should be that there is a there is maybe a certain window of time which theoretically gives people enough space to watch it. You know, I mean, let's face it. If you're if you're really invested in in something, say whether it's Avengers Endgame or Game of Thrones or anything like that, you're going to watch it probably within the first week, more than likely. You know, you're probably going to make that happen. Whereas if you're not that in- involved and you're playing catch up or, you know, it's not, you know, realistically it might be two, three, four weeks, a month, a year, who knows. And I think there has to be some sort of logical point where, you know, after that slight catch up period of um, people being able to, to watch it, that there isn't that whole massive Titanic pile down on people who dare mention anything happening in the film. And also, I think there's also the reality check that people need to have that, you know what, if if you really don't want to find anything out about this, then don't go looking for it. And do you know what, you, you I mean, that's, today, I, I wasn't, to use an example, I wasn't able to watch Game of Thrones till 7.30 at night. Um, and This is in the UK this, for, the, for international this, listeners, so this was a solid, what, 14 hours after it aired. Right, so, you know, it goes on, yeah, it goes on uh, on, on TV at like 2am in the UK. And a friend of mine was up at 5.30 because he's got a newborn little boy and he was watching it then and everything like that in the morning. I had to go to work today. I had to go through a whole day and I stayed off social media. I stayed off it. I, I avoided everything I could about this and I sat down at 7.30 and I was completely unspoiled. Now, there has to be that give and take of, you know what? If sometimes if you if you go looking for this stuff and you and you don't want to, then it's on you to an extent. So I think there has to be that balance of, you know, critics and writers acting with a certain level of, um, you know, courtesy and respect, not to intentionally go out their way to spoil things needlessly. But at the same time, people not being afraid to talk about it within a relatively close, condensed, you know, period of time when it is in the topical sphere, you know, when people are wanting to discuss it. Because it takes away some of the fun of it if if you can't say anything about it, you know? I Yeah. I mean, I think it's in in terms of delayed gratification, there's like supply and there's demand. So like, like how 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 do you approach it? If if um if people just have the kind of like discipline, uh, not to explore these things, then that's kind of um, the solution to the problem. Are you are 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 you cut off the supply, and 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 <laughs> and you you know that people are too weak. To stay away from, uh, yeah. Like I feel like yeah. Darren would be supportive of an idea like that. I, 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 as, 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 as in, like, um, I, I am quite active on social media to a certain extent. Yes. No, in, 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 in terms of like, if, 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 if something, if something is bad, then it should be uh, legislated. Yeah, legislated <laughs> because <laughs> spoiler law, baby. <laughs> spoilers are exactly like cigarettes. Um, but no, like, okay, this is. Uh, Interesting point that you brought up there, and I mean, we'll move on in a second, but one of the things you mentioned, and I think this is kind of, 
and again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too sort of abstract or, or kind of like thinking too much about it, but you mentioned that like the idea of like story in particular spoilers. And one of the things that I've read, uh, and so that, that's very convincing, is the idea that spoiler culture preferences the idea of story above everything else. And that like spoiler culture reduces a plot of a TV show or a film to a series of events that occur in it. Now, I'm, I'm not pretending that it's isn't the case in some cases. Not just the plot, but yeah. they reduce the movie. Yeah. To, to, what, ha- to, to what happens in yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so, in, kind of in, to that extent, it strips out things like craft, technique, mm. um, performance, um, and, and actual experience. But, I mean, more concretely than that, I rewatched in preparation for this. Andrew went back and he did a rewatch of the, the Marvel Universe to a certain extent. I did a couple of highlight rewatches myself, and I was watching the original Avengers last night. And one of the things that struck me about the original Avengers is this that is it's... the one we did last weekend. No, not that one. Um, <laughs> listeners, I hope you're okay with what we did last weekend. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but yeah. so I went back and I watched the original Avengers Assemble from uh, 2012. And it kind of struck me that like, unlike Infinity War and unlike Endgame, this would be a movie that would be very difficult to spoil because it's not largely driven by plot. It's mostly driven by character interactions. Like a lot, large part of the pleasure of the Avengers 2012 is in watching scenes like Loki and Black Widow interact or watching them argue over the sphere because that brings character out or having, you know, like, you know, Captain America say to Tony Stark, you know, take away the suit and what are you? And watching the interactions between actors and watching how the beats are played rather than what the beats are. And I kind of like, I wonder if the the prevalence of modern spoiler culture, whether A, that shapes the way that we talk about it, or B, it just reflects the fact that a lot of modern cinema is plot driven rather than, or a lot of major blockbuster event driven cinema is plot driven rather than character driven, if that makes sense. Or kind of um, popular culture. Like I think about like during the weekend, aside from, aside from watching Marvel movies, what I also did is I, I went to see a... a a production of um, of the Crucible, and I've seen the movie, <laughs> so I know I know what's, uh, what exactly happens, what's yeah. going to happen. I know the lines that I like. Yeah. So there's kind of like points in it where I'm where 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 I know kind of like You're how 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 close everything is. Um, it didn't take away from 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 the experience. Yeah. And I, 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 I suppose maybe if it had been my first time, it, it I, I would have wanted um, it to be um, to feel like the first time, um, having, like the very first time, <laughs> uh, like a virgin. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but 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 it goes to show, like like the the fact that I could that you can go along to something like that because with movies, I very rarely see them twice. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast being the occasional exception <laughs> exactly the, the the um but like being it kind of goes to show that you can go along and see something and know like every um twist and turn um and and it still has power um, and value. yeah it retains its value yeah. and it was about the the uh, the performances and the 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 way they um they set it and um the 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 production yeah so like like yeah, you could you could you could probably know a lot about this um this movie um going in and still like you haven't you you haven't experienced the movie until you experience you've the actually movie. watched yeah. it yeah 
Okay, so we're going to ask the three questions before we jump into the spoiler zone and talk about the movie in a bit more depth. But just out of curiosity, Tony, have you cheated? Do you know where this movie currently is on the IMDb's list of the top 250 movies of all time? No, I, I don't. I haven't cheated, but I, I listened back to the uh, the Infinity War episode we did last year. And I, I remember us all being a little bit bemused by the fact that went in at number 10. So... Uh, has it has it beaten that? Are we? Is this the number five <laughs> this time round? Bingo! Got it in no. the Well, it's actually number six at the moment, but it climbed <laughs> to number five. Came in at thirteen, soared up to seven, and then sort of stabilised <laughs> at five over the weekend. Um, it narrowly, it just about managed to avoid toppling the Dark Knight and entering the top four. It was a shame. I was actually speculating when this was coming out and watching the reaction to it that this could become, I think it will be the sixth or seventh movie to actually be the number one movie on the INV's list of the top 250 movies of all time. So it would join the rarefied ranks of Star Wars, uh, The Godfather Part 1. Uh, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. What? The Dark Knight um, <laughs> and the Shawshank Redemption, which is an eclectic mix, mm. if I do say so myself. And I was kind of, I was wondering, would Endgame be the movie that could topple that? And it hasn't yet. I mean, it may still soar, but it's currently at number six. So, Tony, knowing that, before we jump into these three questions, do you think that Avengers Endgame belongs on a list of one of the 250 greatest movies of all time. Well, b- before I answer that, I, s- I swear to you, I did not. I genuinely guessed that then. I swear. I did not look ahead of time. Everyone will be thinking, yes, he did. Blatantly. I promise you. <laughs> Perfect. I guess You could have at least said four. <laughs> what, would be the, what would be the fun in that? Well, yeah. Exactly. Spoilers. Um, Spoilers, people. Uh, but, uh, no. Um, I, I, I don't like, like last year, last year was exactly the same. You know, we, we, you asked me exactly the same question about infinity war and you know, I, I, it's, it's a really, really enjoyable movie, but no. And considering that I don't actually think this is a better movie than infinity war, then definitely not. Cause I said that doesn't have to be on it either. So yeah, no, not 250. No, 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 no. Uh, where where is I'm, infinity oh. war now? Oh, Infinity War, I think, is around 60-ish, but I can confirm that in a second. That's still good. That's still good for Infinity War, you know? That's... Yeah, it's actually exactly 60. Yeah. Yeah, um, when you said, oh, um, I think it's uh, around 60, <laughs> let me just go check. I knew, like, straight away. It's like, Darren knows what number it is. Just he doesn't have to check. <laughs> <laughs> the list is in my mind. Um, <laughs> There's no list. The list is in my mind. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that Endgame belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies of all time? Um, no, no, <laughs> no. Um, and that sounds like it's such a it, it's a crazy thing that we that that, that we have to kind of um, you know um, it's it, like damn a movie with faint praise by saying like it's not well, one of the 250 of greatest the, movies ever made. Yeah, I mean. I yeah I no no I I I I I'm I'm not sure I disagree with Tony actually I I I I thought it was better than Infinity War, um and I would I, I would say, I mean just in terms of kind of what this movie means to people and to kind of um, uh, pop culture maybe it's a kind of like an argument but if it, I feel like. Um, it's, it's, it's just 
difficult to 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 put us uh, in front of 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 movies that are that are that are that are much better. Yeah. And this is this isn't this isn't a bad movie. I I don't think by any. Um, but what about you, Darren? Would it, do you think it should be under two fifty? Yeah, this this is going to be an interesting two questions from Darren's point of view. I absolutely one hundred ten percent can see the argument for it being there, and I think to be honest, I don't begrudge it a place there. I don't know if I'd have it as fifth. Thing is, right, and this is this is one of those things where Darren. We have a recurring section of the podcast where Darren is an unfeeling robot um, who doesn't react to movies <laughs> on an emotional level at all. He just filters them into his brain and out the other side comes like 6,000 word articles or something like that. One of the interesting things about Endgame is due to a confluence of circumstances that I swear to God, listeners, was beyond my control. I happened to see this four times in the space of the last six days. I didn't plan that. I didn't mean for it to happen that way, but that's the way that it happened. I don't think it was happened. my fault. <laughs> Thank you for that, Andrew. Yeah, we were meant to watch this yesterday morning, and I had a very expensive sleep in. <laughs> <Where I, laughs> a little bit expensive for Darren as well. Yeah, I, I, I woke up 45 minutes after my, my flight. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, but anyway. No, it's grand. Um, and, and this is the thing. I got, so I've seen it four times, and I've seen it with four different audiences. And here's the thing. I, maybe not to lay my cards on the table and not to be too spoilery, I may not have entirely pleasant, wholesome, happy things to say about this movie. And we get later on. So I want to be upfront about this. This is a movie that means a lot to a lot of people. And like genuinely, in a profoundly moving way, I sat in the critics screening and there was sobbing in the cinema at certain points of it. And that's incredibly moving when you go to a film and you hear people crying. Uh, I went to a screening on Saturday. There were also a few less cries. Uh, Sunday, yesterday, there were only two or three. But this evening, when we went to it this evening, there were people crying in the rows behind us a little bit at particular bits. And yet, and, Darren. And yet, Darren, the unfeeling robot, was sitting there going, shaking his head and going, oh, we'll see, Endgame. We'll see. <laughs> but no, I... I, I, I for... <laughs> it, it was interesting there because you were saying, now I know I'm known. As a heartless monster, but here is the thing: I'm a heartless monster. <laughs> no, well, I, 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 the I, argument is that even though the movie doesn't move me, the emotions that the movie kind of draws from people moves me to a certain extent. And like, okay, like I'm genuinely moved by people who care about this you, movie and who love this movie. You want to understand profound... what makes human beings tick? <laughs> yeah. So I tried to take one apart. Um, that's what this podcast is. It's not actually about movies. I'm slowly picking Andrew apart over the course of 250 weeks, like he's Thanos' daughter. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But no, I mean, this Just is... walk in and Darren is trying to fight a Borg. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, the experiment didn't work. I, had, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> it went a bit wrong. <laughs> Choking it up in the air. Um, no anger. Um, Stop. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's the thing is that like, even if this movie didn't emotionally affect me, and even if I'm a little bit cynical about it later in the podcast, this is a movie that genuinely affects a lot of people and means a lot to a lot of people. And in a very sincere way, in a way that movies, 
you know, don't necessarily always mean in mass culture. Like, I know people who have talked about seeing this movie twice and crying at it and sobbing mm. uncontrollably and talking about how the second time they saw it, they cried at the same places, but somehow cried more. And that's really genuinely affecting to me. One of the screenings that I saw was at a midnight screening after Infinity War. And we talked last year about my issue with Infinity War is that for me, it's a clockwork orange. It's watching a clock being put together with all the pieces moving immaculately and perfectly timed, but without an ounce of human sentiment in there that actually affects me in an emotional way. But watching it with a crowd of people, it was like, hey, this does actually affect them. And this does mean a lot to them. And that is... You know, is that not what cinema's meant to be? Is that not what cinema's yeah. supposed to do? Yeah, because the problem with your, like, argument against the movie is is that, like, is Darren a good judge of, <laughs> of whether of, a film's emotional? Whether, uh, yeah. And, um, if, if, if no movie makes you cry... Then movies make me, I cried at Twin Peaks The Return. <laughs> is that a movie? Is that a movie, though? <laughs> <laughs> I have to listen to the 18-hour podcast to find out. But... Let's move on to the next question, right? Which I suspect I know the answer to for both of you. But would Endgame be on your own list of your own personal favorite 250 movies that you've ever seen? So sorry. Do you agree with it being on the... I have no problem with it being on the list. Okay. Um, But Tony, would it be on your own personal list? Well, you know what? It might... I mean, it it might do. I'm not... In that sense, you know, in terms of personal favorites... You know, I, I, I genuinely did enjoy this, I think, twice. I think that there's lots of great payoff moments. There's lots of moments of, um, you know, just sheer fanboy joy. And I think from from there will be plenty of rewatchability factor in this, in, in, in good proportions of it, I think. So, yeah, why not? Why not? I, I've never done my... I need to do my 250 films, to be fair. I've, I've never done it. We, we nobody guests nobody has. <laughs> yeah. nobody, no guest we've ever had has taken out a notebook and said, well, actually, polling data doesn't support it's this. Too, it's too important uh, a question to leave to one person. <laughs> <laughs> we, we must create like a poll so that yeah. everyone can vote on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like a database of movies yeah. on the internet, maybe. Um, what about yourself, Andrew? Would it be on your own personal list of your own favourite 250 movies ever? Um, like, I'm, 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 I'm not sure. Like, it, it's, I, I suppose it's difficult just having come from watching it. But I, I like, they, they, that's the thing. You, you come away from these, the, uh, movies, or I do, kind of, um, sometimes feeling quite positive about it, but not knowing if I can be that positive that I would, that I would kind of, um, uh, uh put it, put it ahead of all of these. It, it, it. It is a lot of fun, um, and um, I'm looking. F- I'm looking. I'm looking forward to talking about it. But I'd, would I? Would I put it on my uh, top two fifty? Probably not. All right. And myself, from my own perspective, no. Uh, very firm no. I have very strong opinions about this movie, but we'll get to those in a moment. But those opinions are not necessarily in the. It will be on my own personal two fifty sort of sentiment. Tony, final question. (laughs) If a listener listening to this podcast who's made it this far into the podcast has not yet seen Avengers Endgame, would you recommend that they run out, pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the rest of the podcast three hours later? Uh, uh, Yes. (laughs) I think. That could be like a five-hour round trip. (laughs) (laughs) That could be. 
I think what I would say to them is, if you're thinking of seeing this film and you haven't seen any of the other Marvel films, then you really need to rethink your, your life choices. And, and, and particularly, I would say, make sure you've watched Ant-Man and the Wasp, because that's surprisingly important. But far more, mm. far more than I thought it would be, if I'm honest. Um, so yeah, I was, that would be... I was glad actually that those were the two movies uh, that, that you I crammed yeah. in the last yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing because I came out of one of the screenings that I attended, and there was a 40 year old woman saying, "Well, I think I'd need to see it again to form an opinion, <laughs> and I should probably watch that one Infinity War too." <laughs> uh, but it's. Which it kind of gives you an idea of how big an event this is. That it's like people who have you know not seen Infinity War are like, well, I should probably stick my head in and see what this is about. That's incredible. That, that's what that's what I was thinking when you were talking about how big a movie this yeah. was. I was like, hold on, it's it's a sequel. Yeah, and it's Surely a very intricately connected like sequel. A large, large group of people who have not seen the first movie, who have only seen this. Yeah. And what that experience must be like. Time works in strange ways, though. Yeah. What's great is I love the idea of them having not seen other Marvel movies from around about 2012, 2013, 2014 and trying to watch this. Yeah. I mean, it it was a great... There was a great uh, thread on on, on Twitter... Um, well, I, I, I suppose we, we, notes, yeah, right? we can include in the show notes from somebody who who hadn't seen um, any any of the uh, Marvel movies, but was watching Infinity, uh, Infinity War. War. And it's amazing how um, how astute, like uh, mm. you you can you can be about these movies because it, it, I suppose it comes to the point where we have to say, uh, do we recommend it? And there is a danger, I think, in people who have seen all of these movies in recommending them to other people i would i i think i've mentioned it lots of times on the podcast before someone recommend someone who i trust a good friend right uh, um uh, no it's not darren uh, recommended i i see um harry potter and the deadly hallows part two that's an interesting choice yeah um also the only harry potter film on the list exactly and i said i said um well, I haven't seen the other Harry Potter movies. Is that going to matter? And 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 they said, no, no, no. This is a movie that stands on its own two feet, which is not true. So I I I I I, I would yeah I would I would be careful about uh, recommending this to people maybe who 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 don't have um, the the grounding in it. But then again, that person who 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 watched Infinity War seemed to get something out of yeah. it. Uh, or seem to watch Endgame. Oh, I have Infinity War in your thread and Endgame coming out of my cinema screening. I mean, I would note actually, again, having rewatched Avengers, part of what's strange going out of Avengers and into like Endgame is how the original Avengers has a real sense of, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea if people are going to watch other Marvel films. So there's a lot of exposition in the original Avengers that's along the lines of Cap has flashbacks that recap his first movie in case you missed that in cinemas the first time around. Well, when when well, Loki... There's a lot of uh, repeating parts from movies and this. Like this movie is full oh, of that. Yeah, but it, I think the way that this movie repeats them is very much assuming that you know you have context from the first time around as opposed to bringing you up to speed on what happened the first time around, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, the thing is that, like, if you look at the original Avengers, it even has, like, a sequence where Loki thro- Loki shows up. And Eric uh, Selvig turns, looks at him and goes, Loki, brother of Thor. Um, which is like, okay, that's a, that's a perfectly natural thing to say in this situation. I'm glad you brought us up to speed. Whereas, like, Endgame is just like, there's a talking raccoon. 
roll with it. Um, <laughs> and I kind of like, I it kind of illustrates how far the films have come. And I think how confident they are in people being, at least, if not familiar with them, willing to go along with them to a certain extent. Well, I, 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 think, I think it's to do with the interesting... I guess we'll talk about the other side of the spoiler zone when, when, um, but it's the interesting relationship that this movie has, uh, with the past and with the future, that it that it, it it's it's very much kind of positioning itself as this is a thing, right now that is uh, looking back and looking forward. Yeah. Um, and, and I it, think that's it, a good note in which to segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoil his own. <laughs> so, Tony, what is Avengers Endgame about for you? <laughs> well, um, how long have we got? <laughs> because this this might take a while. Um, no, it's 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 about the it's about it's about the the ending. It's about a journey. It's about a um, the end of an era. You know, for for an incredibly ambitious project that probably never should have worked, and it's quite remarkable that it has worked. And I think it's it's a really hard question to answer in a way because it, it it's it's about it's about a lot of things while at the same time being a very popcorn, very disposable film in in some ways that i think when the hyperbole and the nostalgia and the um the excitement wears off won't won't necessarily stand the test of time like cinematic events that we talk about 50 years down the line i don't know it's it's a difficult one i think yeah i i, I suppose it's just about the end of a of, of an era i guess the clues in the title. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I I think it's a difficult movie to make to kind of get get all of these like, like Darren has pointed out, like the way all of these kind of pieces work together, and that it, it's 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 kind of you can say that about the shared kind of Marvel um, uh, cinematic uh, universe. But they, they it just struck me last uh, week when I was watching Captain Marvel the benefits of making it work like this because like i'm going back to watch captain marvel i'm i'm paying like yeah. uh, twice you've got an investment to, yeah exactly yeah that, 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 that um it makes you it makes you watch more movies yeah because they're all networked and tied exactly. together and yeah, like, yeah. You, again this is the fear of missing out it become it become it becomes a sort of like a package yeah. like what am i going to do i'm going to watch uh, game of thrones episode 1 Maybe episode three, a skip episode two. I've heard episode seven's great. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're 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 not really going to do that. Yeah. Um, so you consume the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. They're creating consumers. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, again, like this is the thing I talked about Infinity War, and again, this is one of the things where Darren says something as a compliment, genuinely meaning as a compliment, but it sounds like a backhanded compliment. Where I'm like, this is an incredible piece of product. 
as a piece of logistical organization and coordination in a creative sense. This is amazing that this exists and that this works in any way, shape or form. It's an intricate kind of clockwork mosaic. And I was in awe of Infinity War in that sense. I didn't think that Endgame worked quite as well as Infinity War in that sense. I didn't think that everything fit together as neatly. I didn't think it flowed. I thought there were a lot more rough edges there. And more than that, there were a lot of, like... The thing with Infinity War was it left me cold. The the thing with Endgame was there were points where it made me actively frustrated with it, which was quite remarkable, given how much goodwill um, I should have built up towards it. Because, again, I, I love a lot of the Marvel movies. We talked about, like, Guardians of the Galaxy on here, uh, which is great. Iron Man 3 is fantastic. Thor Ragnarok uh, has been one of my favourite new entries that we've covered on the list so far. So I have a lot of goodwill towards Marvel movies. And it's kind of strange that Endgame made me frustrated in part um and it was it was very disconcerting i think in that sense that that's interesting to me because it it felt like a marvel movie that would speak to you in a very uh specific way because it shared i i felt that it's a movie that kind of shares some of your um uh, interest in in the whole kind of idea of fandom like uh, as uh, and and um you uh, um uh, Tony can't see this. Darren gave me a kind of a look, as, <laughs> if, to, <laughs> as if as if to say, "What do you mean?" But did 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 you not kind of uh, take away from this that this is kind of this is this is a movie that has things to say about something that kind of um, that you find yourself uh, uh, writing about quite a bit. Well, this this is the thing where it's the issue. One of the issues with Endgame, from from my perspective, is that it feels it. it and now, to be honest, it's entirely earned. Like this again is a massive money making machine, but it's a massive success that really shouldn't have been. And every time we talk about the Marvel movies, it's a case of going, "Well, this made a shed load of money, and in hindsight, it looks like a sure bet." But at the time, it was like something that seemed absurd to Hollywood, and it's amazing that it became the cornerstone of the biggest franchise in movie history. Yeah, imagine um, trying to pitch it to somebody. Yeah. It's like we're going to make a superhero movie. It's like, oh yeah, I love superhero. Daredevil's movies. fantastic. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, like what is it? Batman, Superman. Um, no, it's Iron Man. <laughs> well, Captain America. Like the Incredible Hulk was the bankable one, but they had proven at that point that you can't make a successful <laughs> uh, Hulk movie. movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's the thing is that like it's incredibly self-congratulatory in that sense. And like this is the thing when you talk about like its own idea of history and its own, it is a celebration of itself. And this is the thing where I feel like I'm a spoil sport. Uh, where I don't I'm the... think I I I I I disagree with you. I, I, okay. Like like um, jumping ahead in the like I suppose we're not talking about the movie in um, in like chronological order. Yeah, no, because it wouldn't make sense. But yeah. they, they, they um, a part that made sense to me in terms of the movie and in terms of what it was trying to say was the whole um, Captain America arc. Of 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 him not 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 being able to get over um, something traumatic uh, that happened. Yeah, uh, the snap, the disappearance of half the population of the planet. Yeah, and being it, unable to move on. But more 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 than that, feeling like he had missed um, his um, his his past. As oh, well. you mean the original the original thing where he's trapped in ice for so exactly. many years? Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
And there was an interesting thing because he kind of like went back to uh, the past to enjoy it. The way fans of a thing do. Yeah. Um, but was it the, 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 the interaction um, uh, between himself and um, Mackie's character? Uh, Falcon, Falcon, Sam. Yeah. Sam um, where Where Sam says... Um, you want to tell um, me about her? No, he says, I'll, 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 well, there, there's that, but there's also Sam saying, I'll do my best. Yeah. Where it's, it's, it's this idea of the, the, um, you get attached to a, a, a property and a movie and want to live in it. So that you want to stay in the past, but you're also kind of like accepting, um, that somebody else is going to take over and might create something that isn't the, the, the thing that you're in love with and yeah. want to go back to, but they're but that they're doing their best, and and they they, they, yeah. they um it it's it 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 was very familiar, you know. Yeah. It, 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 um, it was very kind of, kind of like from um, because like the stuff that you've kind of like written about uh, Star Trek and Star and, Wars and, and Doctor Who, yeah, and yeah, 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 and 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 like learning to let go of something that doesn't necessarily belong to you anymore belongs to somebody else, or it's been yeah. handed to a new generation of people to take. But on. what we, what it was showing is that um, Captain America can um, enjoy the the uh, the past can 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 go back and 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 live the past again. And that the future is 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 Belongs for other people. Yeah. yeah. Just to, to to answer that and to respond to that, that that's one of the things that actually kind of bugged me a little bit about the film is that the film has a very strange idea of the relationship between the present and the past and and the future to an extent. Although I think its relationship with the future is actually generally quite positive. The issue with its relationship with the past is that. The film suggests that the past is quite simultaneously always present, but also disconnected from the present as well. The film notably rejects the familiar sort of time travel cliches of going back and preserving the past or going back and making sure that the past unfolds the way that it should or like watching the past or respecting the past or sort of like acknowledging that's what past is, what shapes us now in the present and informs us. Instead, the film suggests the past exists entirely disconnected. You can go back to it. You can do whatever you want in it. You can interact with it. You can warp it. You can manipulate it. You can, like, use CGI to put Rocket in a sequence with Natalie Portman, to pick an example. But you can do these things, and you can edit it, and it will have no impact whatsoever on the present, because the present is entirely self-contained. Like, again, this is the well, idea... It, it's not just the present, but it, it's it, it's the whole idea of a constant and fixed reality. Yeah. like the, and, and it's a counterpoint... To um to Thanos's assertion, when 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 he says I am inevitable, did it um it's it's what 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 the movie is doing is 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 holding these two um competing uh, ideas. Uh, uh, competing ideas. I again I don't necessarily see that though. Is that like I mean. I mean, it's in the movie, so, uh, yeah. so you did see it. I, I did see the movie four times. But yeah, no, I mean, the, the issue, though, is that it completely 
disconnects any idea of continuity. I don't mean continuity in like the nerdy fan way where it's like, well, actually, if you look at issue 247, I mean continuity in the idea that we as people are shaped by our experiences and the world is shaped by what happened before. And you have this weird thing that... But you, I mean, this is this is the thing. We have this idea of the, the, the past is something that's happened and we can't change it. We're changing it all the time. Because if you tell a story uh, twice, it you changes. You don't tell it the same way. Yeah. I mean, and we and, talked and, on the podcast before about how you, when you remember something, you rewrite the memory of that experience as well. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that that makes me particularly, like, uneasy and nervous in an era where, again, and, and this is the thing where Darren maybe reading is too cynical about this, although I would argue the Marvel movies inspire you to read it cynically just based on, the, like, the, le- the irony and the snark and sort of the tone that they generally have. But this idea of, like... I talked a little bit on Infinity War about how Thanos in some ways felt like the embodiment of like contractual obligation. It was like, well, we've got this force that's got to arrive to clear the decks before we do the next phase of Marvel movies in the sense that he is inevitable in the sense that he is a representative of this force that is going to shape and change and alter the sort of groundwork of this cinematic shared universe that we have. And that, you know, all that matters is that he does that as a statement of purpose, as a goal. He is just that drive given form. He is time and he is death Thanos being Thanatos I w- but I would I would like to see the the next kind of generation of Marvel movies um, be about them realizing that um, they needed Thanos and they should never have um, <laughs> Thanos was right baby Thanos <laughs> was right yeah look, uh, Thanos was right all along look, look at this Look at this wor- the world. Like, there's a problem that Thanos tried to fix and we didn't listen. Um, <laughs> um, but no, that's that's not what I'm saying at all here. It's it's more that, like, if you look at it, like, if you do take this as a metatextual commentary on it, like, things like the idea of altering the past, editing the past, where you have things like the use of CGI to bring actors back from the dead, Peter Cushing, for example, but even, like, Carrie Fisher, the use of her sort of CGI double in, at the end of Rogue One, to pick an example. You have this idea of of like constantly reissuing nostalgia and allowing people to sort of to continue to live in the past without having to move forward and it kind of it makes which is interesting because it's if almost the opposite all of all the movie was okay then then um then that then that would be an issue but there is a tension in in this movie of on the one hand um uh pushing one arm back into the past and on the other hand uh, pushing the kind of baton forward to 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 the future. If 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 this is all just a um, a like a masturbatory kind of like um, uh, look at all this stuff we've done and um, well, this and is now it's finished. But before we finish, let's uh, let's go back. Yeah. There, there, there. Um, I think that that's. Um, uh, I don't know what what what, Wait, what, what do, do you, do think, you Tony? think, Tony? I think I think it's I can see I can see both both ways of looking at this. Really, I think it was inevitable. I think that the nostalgia was going to come into play. You know, I mean, you find that in so many of these kind of stories, um, where you've you've got such a build up of a universe and you've got such a an amount of character journeys, you quite often get. Um, stories that then try and look back or they, 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 they reminisce or anything like that. I mean, when I, when I wrote my review, I, I was surprised at how, and not everyone will necessarily get this reference, but I was surprised at how much Endgame reminded me of uh, David Tennant's last Doctor Who 
episode, The End of Time. Yes, yeah. For, for... Even even as someone who doesn't uh, watch Doctor Who, yeah, did, did they, mm. did, 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 that's something that means something to me, yeah. Yeah, well, Sorry, no, 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 exactly. Well, it's, I mean, apart from the fact that the villain in that is like, I'm convinced that Russell T. Davis read the Infinity Saga because Rassilon has a magic glove massive magic gold glove that he's using to, to remake the universe um but you apart from that you've got the doctor at the end going back um to various points in different areas of time and looking at his companions and things like that so it, it is it is him reminiscing before we move on to the next chapter you know um yeah yeah exactly and and, and you know he regenerates how this kind of felt yeah, it, it was. Like, it's a looking back in order. It's like you, you you described it very well there, having one hand in the past and one hand in the future. You know, you've got the 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 end the end game of this of this film is is Tony Stark's journey throughout the movie. So it's 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 sort of looking back and closing off this era before you then start again without although as you say it's not quite as clean as that you know it's not like a sequel series with a whole new bunch of characters there is there is an overflow but it, it's it, it's one of those things where you could have I, I guess you could have done this story without the nostalgia you could have done it if you'd have written it in a different way you could have done it without the time travel I'm sure but I kind of feel like it's there's a circularity to it which from a nostalgic point of view is pleasing my issue with it was more that you can feel them levering the the plot mechanics into place to get all these yes. stones back and get all these people in the places need to be. Structurally, that first ninety minutes is a is difficult. Um, Interesting. But- I I actually quite liked a portion of the first forty minutes. Um, the sequence that actually deals with the aftermath of Infinity War. Like, we talked about my lack of feeling as a human being, as a giant purple titan who seeks to bring balance to the universe. Um, I actually... the, the movie He's came, actually wearing purple. Yeah. Um, the movie actually affected me. Like, it got close to getting me in the feels with the opening sequence with Hawkeye, of all things. And anybody who knows me knows that I hate Hawkeye. Like, Hawkeye is, like, one of the f- characters in fiction who I really, truly, profoundly dislike. Uh, so to make me feel like that towards Hawkeye was quite an accomplishment. Because you did that to him. <laughs> I did him dirty. And you, feel, you felt bad about it. Yes, yeah. I did. Uh, but like that sort of thing captured what I thought was missing from Infinity War. A sense of like human loss and a sense of personality. And like there, there are I, bits I, of that I, in I there. I totally agree with you yeah. there. Because like, like the way they did away with Asgard and, yeah. and, and with the... Um, the planet as well that 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 uh, that most of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two yeah. was about saving yeah we do we don't even see that happen that happens off screen and and war, and yeah. uh, like all of uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok as well yeah. about about uh, um, about saving Asgard about saving as a people. the people of of uh, of Asgard, of Asgard. And then... the 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 um, Infinity War had. They seem to have like very little consideration for kind of like the whole idea of of loss and the 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 the, the, the value that um um of um of 
yeah of of life it, it, yeah. it, it just it, it seemed it, it was propulsive it went 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 but it felt very mechanical to me it felt like it didn't fully assess emotionally the impact of anything that was happening which is insane yeah given the scale of everything that was happening and i really like the opening scene of of endgame because it does that and even little bits after that like there's there's moments where like for example the counseling group that uh yeah that captain america visits with the the marvel cinematic universe's first gay character played by one of the directors as well um, who talks about going on a date with somebody who experienced this sense of loss and Cap telling people you have to move on although knowing that he can't but even sequences like Ant-Man coming out of storage and wandering out into this world that's experienced this sense of loss and tragedy and suffering the moment with the with the kid on the bike who just turns at him looks at him with his dead-eyed stare and then goes back to cycling like those sequences were the highlight of Endgame for me because they felt genuine real and like they were processing the emotional reality of what was happening uh, but I, I think that after that, was that very I, helpful. yeah it really was and it provided a sense of context and scale and I think that ties into some of the issues I had because I don't think the film necessarily did a lot with those if that makes sense like I feel like those elements seemed at odds with other elements within that like 40 minute block I think that the tone, it struggled a bit with tone in that 40 minute block where it was never sure, like the extent of the damage of the click where you had stuff like, you know, the Avengers failed to save the planet, half the planet disappeared. They feel really bad about it, but kids are still asking the Hulk to take selfies, for example, which is very strange. Yeah, and feels I, a little I bit mean, off. it's difficult though to, that's, that's the difficulty of these movies is putting all these pieces together. Cause I feel like as they're going kind of like in a rush to get there, they're all of a sudden saying, wait a second, there's an opportunity to do something really cool and, and enjoyable really here. And, 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 and we'll do it. And, and even like when they're back in New York and the stuff with like, um, a, a Captain America's American ad. Yeah. Like, um, um, like there, and and with 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 Fat Thor. Uh, um, oh, we'll talk about Fat Thor a bit more, I suspect. <laughs> absolutely, but but yeah, there, there's there's all there's all of these kind of like opportunities, kind of in in that story to say like, oh, can we please? Can we it's please? Hilarious. It's great. Yeah, Just it's like you're on, it's like you're on a a. Um, a road trip and it's like can we can we, can we please stop tour. here can we please yeah, yeah. Um, and and like i mean i understand that and i understand the urge and this is the thing a lot of the individual elements of endgame work quite well on their own but for me they don't necessarily cohere in a way that feels organic or logical and like this is the thing when we talk about time and the movie's relationship to time right this is something that I was thinking about when I watched this because I'm an unfeeling robot, right? Which is you have that you have those sequences that capture the sense of loss, which has happened over the course of the film. So you have Captain America attending grief counseling sessions and he's telling people, you gotta move on. Now it's clear that he doesn't believe that and Evans is very good. Evans sells that remarkably well. It's very clear that Cap doesn't believe it, but he's saying it because he thinks it it's what people need to hear. There's a moment later on when he meets with Nat and he says, I keep telling people to move on and some of them have, right? Here's the thing. The heroes haven't moved on and the heroes decide unilaterally that they're going to take this massive risk that possibly condemns not only their timeline, but four other timelines entirely by taking the Infinity Stones from them, which would cause a collapse that would apparently destroy the entire multiverse uh, or collapse, destroy those entire timelines as the Ancient One outlines to Hulk, right? Which is a huge gambit for like, given that Infinity War's whole point was we don't trade lives. But even like brushing that aside and forgetting like the idea that like what they're doing is like they're essentially risking gambling for timelines for their own timeline because they've decided their own timeline is more important because that's the one they live in. 
even things like Cap telling people to move on and telling people to live their lives. And the idea that there's a five-year gap. And I understand why they did the five-year gap. They inserted the five-year gap so you could get things like the idea of Tony having a family, which is necessary for Tony's arc to go on. Or you could have things like Fat Thor, for example, because Fat Thor, they think, is hilarious. And maybe it is hilarious. I didn't like that, but we'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. But, I thought the five years was strange. Yeah. So, like, Peter Parker's entire class presumably disappeared because mm. they all come back and they like hug each other mm. and it's like no one was dating no one was dating somebody who got snapped and is now like a statutory rapist potentially or anything <laughs> like that and it's no no but i mean like this is the thing where i know you shouldn't think too hard about these things but it's like captain america has told people to move on so imagine imagine you lost your wife and child or your husband and wife or your husband and child in this and like you took him at his word and you went out and you got married and you tried to move on. It took you five years, but you got there eventually. You found comfort in this life. You found somebody you loved. You had another child. You moved on. It hurts a little bit every day, but you've taken the steps to go forward. Now imagine one day without any warning, without any announcement, without any debate or any consideration. Tom Hanks from Castaway arrives that's it exactly. at your door. Yeah, that's it exactly. But like the person who you let go of arrives mysteriously. The child who you you've like accepted as being lost to you forever suddenly appears and it's like not only does this like disrupt your entire life you wonder was i was i wrong to have given up on them in the first place are they ever going to disappear the, again and like it, it the, gay di- guy, the, the gay guy who started going on dates his yeah. wife comes back <laughs> uh, yeah but his husband, his husband comes back but yeah i mean yeah it's it, 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 like that sort of thing and the idea that like and this is something that really bugs me about Infinity War and Endgame is that they are very insular in terms of how they portray the idea of like superhero life, right? So for example, and again, like I understand why this is. This is a response to things like Batman versus Superman, where you had like characters being thrown through cities and causing devastation in a way that made audiences uncomfortable. So you led to getting away from that and you tended to move away from focusing on civilians. And again, having watched, say, Iron Man 3 and watched The Avengers recently, it's striking how much emphasis there is on the humanity of people who aren't superheroes in that. Like in the Avengers, Cap is running coordinated search and rescue there. He's managing first responders. You have waitresses who he's pulling from rubble, thanking him for saving their lives. You have like conversations on TV at the end where Stan Lee says, superheroes in New York, that'll never catch on. But you have this idea of a world that exists outside of people who are superheroes and people who are the immediate families of superheroes. And the same thing with Iron Man 3, where you have even the the subplot with the kid who shows up at the end of like Endgame. Like he appears, he's the guy standing alone at the funeral. Yeah, that was the kid from Iron Man 3. Huh? Yep, the kid from Iron Man 3. I thought it was a really douchey move of everybody else there to leave him standing by himself. Well, I I had to look that up, actually, because twice I went to the cinema and I was like, Who's that guy? And I was like, and then, and then, second after the second time, I was like, is that the kid from Iron Man three? But it was so, and he he was, I, I can't quite. I've been ages since I saw Iron Man three, but I know to, when Tony, I think, loses the house, and then he sort of on his down as he ends up, you yeah. know, helping that little kid in like a little town, I think it is, and they, yeah, they who's it, getting bullied, and yeah, who gives him the spare parts and the batteries and stuff, yeah. But it was a really oh. obscure callback, actually, in a way. I mean, it's quite nice that he was there, but it was it was very much a case of, who's that? Is that? Yeah. So, mm. I, I did think it was rather rude of people like, say, Bucky um, and like T'Challa to be like, should we like make conversation with this kid? He looks like he's alone <laughs> and kind of by himself. It's like, no, 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 he's fine. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, my point, though, is that like, what those... is he going to talk to Bucky about? <laughs> <laughs> That's what's your shared frame of reference? Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Bucky's like, so that new Betty Gabriel movie, I hear it's fantastic. Right? Yeah, yeah, having problems getting bullied. Yeah, I was experimented on. The last person who said something smart to me, I put my fist through his face. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that. Um, but no, I mean, like the, the whole thing is though those earlier movies had an emphasis on civilians and stuff like that. And this idea of a life that exists outside of the Avengers. You know, people who weren't all about that superhero life, to quote Rhodey in this movie. Mm. Uh, the issue with Infinity War and Endgame, at least for me, is that it all feels very insular. Like, there's very few people in those movies who aren't, like, superheroes or the immediate family of superheroes, to pick examples. Um, And that kind of, like, and again, even at the end, you have the sequence where Thanos lays siege to, like, the Avengers headquarters. But it's upstate New York, so you have, like, this army of, like, superheroes and anonymous extras. But no sense of civilians or no sense of, like, the world outside. And it feels like... this is where maybe I'm being a bit cynical and maybe Darren is an unfeeling robot. But part of me wonders, right? The Avengers are supposed to be heroes. Do you think, honestly, that Cap would have done everything that he did, as much as he did, taken all of the risks that he did, upset the timeline potentially in the way that he did, but also like jeopardize four timelines to do it um, and not moved on if, if Bucky and Sam had been untouched by the snap? If it had just been half the population of the universe, but not anybody he cared about, do we think that Cap would have been upset by that? And I, the issue with a, and again, it's something that ties back to Civil War, where Cap is like, well, registration, I'm not a big fan of it. It's not a big deal. And they're like, well, we kind of need to arrest your best friend who's a living weapon. He's like, well, wait a minute. Um, and there's a certain aspect of that to Infinity War and Endgame, where it feels like Cap's like, you know, I'm not doing this because it's right and it's necessary and it's just. I'm doing this because it affected me personally and people that I care about in an immediate sense. And therefore, I'm going to potentially jeopardize four timelines. And that didn't sit well with me. Am I reading mm. too much into it? I, I, no, no. Uh, uh, go I on. don't think it can be one or the other. Well, I, I, I think it's possible um, uh, for it um, for one to make decisions just... Uh, uh, based completely out of um, one's self-interest, I think it's more difficult to 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 do things entirely um, uh, out of principles. That it did, and and that's and that, I suppose that is what we're depending on um, heroes to do. But they need to also have that um, very personal motivation. Like think think about think about Ant Man and the Wasp. It was a movie that was entire, like had nothing to do with anybody, with any of the characters who weren't in the yeah. movie. Like it, it, to to the extent that um, the um, uh, their whole plan in in that movie is nearly derailed because he has a um, a, a pitch. As as, uh, as as part of trying to get his business yeah. on track. Oh yeah, XCOM. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah. Then and and the the villain of that movie just wants to Turn sort her life out. Oh oh yeah, yeah. The ghost. Yeah, as opposed to Walton Groggins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So it did. That's um. And that's a movie that 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 worked very well as a um. I thought. Yeah. Well, well I, I mean, did, the did. issue with that is that that was relatively, and if you're probably upon small scale. So, like, well, Ant Man and the Wasp were maybe shrinking buildings and stuff like that, but they weren't, like, changing the entire history and, like, bringing back half the population of the world or whatever, or telling people to move on with their lives and then, like, bringing everything back. Um, and it, it's kind of like, it, it feels like the movie's scale is 
at once almost too intimate for the epic that it's trying to construct, if that makes sense. But anyway, sorry, Tony, you were going to say something. Well, all, all I was going to say was that well, I, I think the the issue the issue I had was with some of some of the character as, character journeys with this that weren't Tony's. You know, Tony Stark's made complete sense, and you can especially even on second watch, you know, you can really see that much clearer you know even even through the it's clear first time but you can really see it second time as well and it fits in terms of where his character's been building since you know the first iron man movies and the first avengers film um but i think the, the there was a problem with cap throughout this film in the sense that he even though he's a very important cog in the machine it doesn't feel like there's much more going on. He sort of drifts through the film in many ways, doing what he needs to do, doing what, and I agree with Andrew in the sense that I think he does do a lot of what he does out of pure principle, as well as the emotional tether. But the the fact is that this this film tries to tries to factor in the Peggy thing, and that's something that has been very background in many ways since the first Avenger. And it's been there's been a couple of mentions in the in the successive films, but this it seems to be his driving motivation is to remember Peggy, and then once he is zipping through time, he makes the choice to go back and be with her and all that, which which fits his character arc in many ways. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's it's been as central to him as it could have been. And at the same time, you've then got um, Black Widow, which I think is the the big one they fob. You know, in this, they, 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 I think they really misjudge that that whole sequence and that whole death, because you've you've got a problem with the fact they they almost seem more comfortable now with the characters who they can either be make, making versions of themselves that they can self lampoon and they can sort of play that meta riff on what a superhero is as opposed to the straight up down the line characters who are just people. Basically, and that—that's not to say—that's not to say that they're, um, you know, they're—they're they're not doing good work with 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 a lot of the those other characters. You know, I mean, I, I too thought Fat Thor was a joke too far in the end. I thought it was funny for five minutes, and then it's a bit like, well, okay. But I think you've you've got a problem when some of your central characters who've been there since the beginning of the the journey really end up kind of being in a film like this because they're supposed to be. And that they are in, they are ultimately they they end up their character journeys are fulfilled. And don't get me wrong, I think the, the Cap's involvement in the final fight and stuff with like Thor's hammer and, and all this kind of, it's it's great rousing stuff. Don't get me wrong, but at the same time, emotionally, I think quite honestly, I think the only real, really true emotional component to this is what happens to Tony, and I think it probably should have been more than that, really. Can, just well, before we talk about that Cap's departure at the end, again, this is where I worry I'm being very cynical. It felt like it was entirely driven by the fact that Evans was done, mm. rather than this was an organic place for the character of the story. I don't know. To go. I I I feel I feel like Peggy meant like two things. For for first of all, I I I feel I feel like Peggy kind of stayed with me uh, in terms of the way I think about. Um, Captain America and what uh, what matters uh, to him it was always kind of um, it was always forefront in my mind that this was a significant part of his trauma life. for him yeah. yeah the 
Second thing is, within this movie, if you haven't seen any of the other movies. Important. Yeah, but, but no, no not, 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 just, not just that Peggy is important, but that's... Um, Cap is a man America. out of time. Exactly. Like that discussion that he has with the support group where he talks about like how the entire world is experiencing and, what he experienced. And Here's, it's also false. It's yeah. so uh, clear that he's he's somebody... he. And that's the the goodness of Captain America is he's he's kind of he's telling these sorts of um, um, I guess kind of um, lies for the, the for what almost, he believes for the for for for, for for the sake of other people and for the sake of kind of telling telling them what 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 they need to hear and playing this character because I, I Captain America more than any of the Avengers. Um, is performative exactly. He was introduced it, as a USO uh, showman exactly. uh, in the first Avenger, where 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 yeah he he's he's always been kind of like playing this role, even though it's 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 painful um, uh, for him. And then he's bench he's finally like the 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 way uh, the way it's paying off for uh, Captain America is he's he's finally getting um something for him this is okay i'm i'm much more cynical about this because like what cap does by bringing everybody back five years after the fact is he puts half of the world through his experience of missing 70 years of history and then when that's done when tony stark is dead when the world has, like, Thor has disappeared from Earth to go off with the Asgardians of the galaxy. Captain Marvel is being kept busy with stuff off Earth. Um, Natasha Romanoff, who's been managing the affairs of superhero state, is dead. The world needs, arguably, its superheroes more than ever, or at least somebody who can rally them temporarily. Cap decides, having brought back half the world and made them experience the trauma that he had, being hooked out of the Tesseract, uh, pulled out of the ice, 70 years after the fact... Hops this on a time is machine. A real uh, hot hot take of Marvel Universe Twitter is, is kind of like um, I don't I I I just came into the world now, um, having been dead for five years, and I kind of hate uh, Captain America for bringing me back. Or it's like, hey, my loved ones <laughs> um, uh, just came back um, af- after five years. What are you doing, Captain America? Um, could you not have asked me first if this was okay? <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> what about this house I bought? What about this car I have? What about the person who came what back are... and discovered that their loved one is, is gone or that they're not there anymore? But anyway, my, my point is, though, right? Cap does that and he, he understands the world is like... The world is going through a cataclysmic change. He has a time machine that he can use at literally any other time. But he just decides on the spur of the moment to run off and be with Peggy because he happens to be traveling through time anyway after Tony's what funeral. Do you mean on the, the, like he does e- on the Everybody the who's seen these movies, I would imagine, wants Captain America to, 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 to have the life that he's deserved because so much of Captain America is about giving of himself to others. I, I'm not convinced by that, though. Again, I go back to Civil no, but War. Is he, where... is he or isn't he? He, 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 he? He's he's like laughably kind of wholesome and 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 positive. And but but it, but it beneath that hides um, uh, 
this uh, uh, this uh, pain, but he, he has to always kind of like do whatever is best for for um, for everyone else. I I don't believe like I I believe that interpretation is true of him in the first Avengers and in in the first Avenger and in the Avengers movie. I think that once you hit say Civil War, you run into a problem where his attitude consists of. Well, my friend is being affected by this law. That's massively inconvenient. So watch me destabilize like this entire geopolitical structure, that's so I can run around as an him. outlaw. What? I don't. I don't think that's ever easy for him. He still chooses to do it, though. Like he, You're his friend, him up to a very uh, kind of high standard. Like for for, for for first of all, he shouldn't he shouldn't protect his friends because he's Captain America. No, he can protect. Secondly, Bucky within he, sh- the system. he shouldn't be allowed to to. Like we've um, seen Baby Driver. Bucky's going to serve five years at most for all that murder. Um, right. But no, k- kidding aside though, like he's powerful enough that he can protect Bucky within the system, theoretically. And it just, it, the thing with Cap in the movies is his arc is consistently, the movies tell you that he is the moral heart of the Marvel Universe. But he always seems to do exactly what he wants to do in the moment that he wants to do it. And like this, the the jumping back through time is a prime example where like, okay, you know that when you go back in time, according to the rules of time travel, this film, you create a branching universe. So whatever happens in the past doesn't affect the present. That's what we're doing all the time. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, let me get to the point here. Right. So the idea is that like Loki, for example, is alive, but it's in a different timeline because that was a different 2012 that they went back to. Right. So when Cap goes back, back to Peggy he goes back to a different 2000 a different like 1945 1946 whatever right yeah how he can't know that he'll find his way back to the characters at the end of the movie like he doesn't he doesn't know that he's going to find his way back to hand over the shield and to do that nice handover with Sam when he does that he's got no way of knowing how he does it according to the internal logic of the film I'm not entirely sure that he can and that's an incredibly to me selfish and reckless thing for somebody to Good. do. I want him to have a selfish uh, moment. Why 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 begrudge Captain America that? Because he's Captain America. He's a he's nominally But, but a the, hero. That, that's the whole reason why he deserves it. But the issue is that he's not really done anything but that. Like even again, I anyway, never mind. But uh, maybe I'm, am I being cynical, Tony? Oh, I, I, no, I I it's it's difficult because this this is this is where I think the 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 film the film is it, it's 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 ticking certain boxes I think and I I think there's there are certain things that have to happen in in this film with with many of these characters to get us to the point where we need to be and this is why I think I said it at the beginning I think there's going to be a level of euphoria to this and I'm feeling it as well and I have felt it both times I've seen it given some of the amazing moments we get towards the end especially the moment with the portals and and everything like that and I think once that dies down I think those people who analyse some of these character motivations and these journeys are going to find that there are things missing or there are things skipped over or there are things that don't quite add up or don't quite work and for me that's why I don't think it quite hits the heights in terms of everything quite coming together in that sense as it as it as it could have done or it should have done but then i keep what i keep saying to myself is was it ever possible to do that you know i'm with something of this scale and this magnitude was cap's journey and cap's story ever really going to 
be completely oh. fulfilling you know yeah and 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 i think it, it's difficult to do iron man and Cam yeah well yeah at the same time there's there's definitely a hierarchy to which um they give the dues to uh certain characters and and not others um noticeable for example like black widow doesn't even get a funeral scene for example she gets a scene where the where the other five avengers talk about her but that's and the sequence where hawkeye talks to scarlet witch but she's largely sort of forgotten past the climax of the film yeah that sort of thing to pick an example now i will say and i feel like we're we're so we we we, we've we've talked a little bit about iron man and a lot about cap we've spoken about um i i would agree that um captain america sorry that the Hulk's uh, part in this movie is be, feels quite just for laughs and and doesn't do, doesn't work. However, th- Fat Thor, oh. I think both works as a piece of comedy and something to uh, and and as an interesting thing to do with the character and something to actually think about. Okay, because I I did um. Do you want to go back to Hulk very quickly, or do you want to jump into Fat Thor? What do we want to do, Tony? What are you feeling? Do you have anything about that about Hulk? Well, I, I, the only the only thing with with Hulk really was that much as it was in, quite enjoyable to see Professor Hulk in you know inverted commas, it it there was a payoff lacking there with Black Widow as well for me with 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 that, and yeah. I, I you know I think yeah. that was a problem because that the, was the something... two Whedon movies set up the idea of a romance between them. I, and I don't think the Russos were interested at all in any of that. So I think that that was just something that became a casualty of Whedon not not doing these films, which maybe when Avengers Assemble first came out might have been the plan or might have been the rough idea for him to have done this trilogy. I don't know, but well, uh, yeah, that. But apart from that, he's the Hulk's just there. I mean, the, the stuff with the gauntlets makes sense. You know, he says at one point, doesn't he? He says, I, I was made for this. I was made for this. Which yeah. is sort of a way of going, well, yeah, it's a good job we have the Hulk because nobody else could do this <laughs> and survive well, at this point. Could, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. And not uh, survive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the thing with the Hulk that jars me, and again, this is where Darren overthinks it, and it's the thing where the little things begin adding up when you think about it. And it's like, they become like a little trail but of I dominoes. Think, I, I think they... they they don't necessarily add up, but I, I, I wonder sometimes if you look for 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 um, for a pattern. Yeah, maybe. Because I, I I guess I guess we're we're going to talk about Fat Thor. I, I but no, sorry. Yeah, with which which um with the Hulk. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Well, Go the issue ahead. the issue with the Hulk is that like within the movie, there's no. First of all, there's no real reason why Banner would do that, like, as a character. He explains that he's putting the brains and the brawn together, right? Which is weird, because according to, like, uh, Okoye, when she's talking to Natasha, things are just dead. There's no real threats to Earth at the moment. There's actually no need for the brains and the brawn to be together. But beyond that, like, the Hulk consistently has been a character of himself separate from Banner. The Banner has had conversations both about and with the Hulk, in particular in Infinity War, where he's like, you know, come out. And he's like, no. Um, and you have this sort of like dynamic between them where the Hulk is treated as a different person. And so like Banner taking over the form of the Hulk really feels like he's kind of lobotomized or like killed the but- Hulk and decided he's going to ride around his... Uh, his body but the, the the it's almost it's almost 
like I'm kind of I'm kind of even turning a little bit on Hulk because they they do a brilliant thing in the movie where they have Valkyrie kind of meet him and say I liked you better in either either of the 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 other ways, ways, which is kind of um, which 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 is giving you the the audience. uh, kind of uh, potential reaction to that. It's kind of like you say about Marvel movies that they make jokes so that you can't. Yeah. Well, that was Luke actually said that, but yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Luke, Luke Donner, one of our guests, made that observation. And I mean, but the thing with Hulk is that, and again, this is the thing where it comes back to, uh, maybe I'm adding too much, but there's a real recurring theme throughout the movie of, to quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, you were so obsessed with whether you could do a thing, you never thought if you should. Um, and, like, there's this idea that, like, it's good to have power and it's good to have, like, the ability to do these things. And that's fantastic. Sure. And, like, this is the thing where, like, the Hulk has always been, like, a metaphor for nuclear weapons. And, like, that's the case if you look at the Eric Bana Hulk movie, the Edward Norton, the Incredible Hulk movie. The idea he was developed about the Gamma Bomb, for example. But even in the movies where he's developed testing the, the super soldier serum for Cap. But even in things like, say, for example, the Avengers, where, like, they take the edge off Banner and Banner becomes a much nicer person than he is in either of the preceding Hulk movies but even then the Hulk is presented as a threat in the two Whedon movies there are two separate sequences where the Hulk like becomes a threat to the team he attacks the helicarrier in the first sequence and the African nation in the second sequence but even in Ragnarok like Banner is absolutely terrified of losing himself to the Hulk where he's like I feel like you know this time the Hulk had two hands on the wheel and I'm worried if I change again I won't ever change back And the weird thing about Infinity War and about Endgame is that they completely ignore any aspect of the Hulk being terrifying or scary or uneasy and instead make it something to covet. In Infinity War, it's something that like what Banner says, like when he's when he's suiting up, when, you know, when Iron Man's like, you want to come out and play? And he's like, well, I don't want to, but I kind of have to. But even then, like the, the conflict within Infinity War is Banner wants to use the Hulk and the Hulk won't let him. And so the solution to that or the payoff to that in Endgame is Banner wants to use the Hulk. So he locked himself in a gamma lab for 18 months and basically took the Hulk's body. Um, and it just feels very strange. It feels very much like... It's it's a very Banner Hulk. And it's strange as well because there are moments in the movie where it would make a lot of sense for the Hulk to be Banner. Like, for yeah. example, when he's trying to use a keyboard. Yes, or a time machine, when he's tapping the little keys there. In fairness, he does have a pencil, which I quite like. But again, like, this is the thing where you wonder, like, when he goes into a Waffle House, how does Hulk use the toilet in a Waffle House? Now, I know that's that's being facetious or over the top, but you get, like, the sense of interacting. Doesn't he, he ever feel nervous? You never squat? It's yeah. actually very good. Ah. You, it, it, it it's take, good for the glutes. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, I don't know, think the Hulk needs to work on his glutes, though. But not uh, just that. I mean, you haven't seen those squatty potties? Uh, oh, the things that are popular in Europe. Yeah, you, you take great big power okay. food. Thank, thank, thank you, Andrew, for that. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> listeners do as well. Uh, but more, more to the point, though, like there's even when he's interacting with kids, there's never you a can sense, be like Hulk. There's never you could be like Hulk too. Um, they say Captain America is America's ass. Nobody's checked out Hulk's glutes. Uh, but the thing is that like he's never nervous around kids. He's never nervous around you know objects or people or lifting things or whatever. Like power is just something that it's awesome to have and you should never question. Which brings us to Fat Thor. No, but but just back to um, Hulk. The thing, it's not, it's, it's almost, uh, it, 
it doesn't work for the, the 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 kind of Hulk that we've got to know through this movie. The one interesting thing about it is it's the kind of um, lunchbox ability. Yes, it's of toyetic. these uh, of uh, yeah of 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 these characters and kind of poking fun at that. In the way that sometimes Captain America did. Yes, or with yeah. the uniforms. Well, the, 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 like, that sequence is hilarious. Like, I mean, it's a really yeah. great laugh, the picture where it's like, Hulk out, little buddies, dab. Um, and like, <laughs> exactly. that, it's yeah. genuinely funny. It, like, I think that it jars tonally, but I think it works as a joke. But I I, I suppose, Fat Thor, okay. Let me... Let okay, me... Well, ready. Myself and Tony are kind of like <laughs> flexing here. We're just getting ready. We're Well, I'll, I'll do my best, but I... But 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 I think the fat Thor stuff is 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 quite interesting and clever in some ways, and and let's let's not let's not just talk about things that were interesting and clever in this movie because because there were there were there were so many things that were either just really cool for people who 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 wanted to see them and also like kind of hilarious and 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 all the rest, but they I I do. I do want to give the movie credit as well for doing something interesting by 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 having Fat Thor because Thor is this character is always kind of um preoccupied with kind of the 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 expectations that 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 have been presented to him and not being able to kind of um be uh, worthy so to speak live up to those and it, it it's 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 interesting then to put him in a position like like this, where if his um, uh, parents were still alive and were at like a um, a uh, family get together, and it's like, oh, Thor isn't here today. What what is he up to? Oh, he's uh, he's doing well. He's um, like they would find it very difficult to talk about. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, like what do I say? What do I say? Is he doing that course still where he learns to He's day trade? Living by the sea, <laughs> um, um, very engaged in uh, online uh, video game communities. He's very like engaged with the sort of new yeah, media. Yeah, but he, he, is, he is the... Um, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've sometimes thought about the um, appeal of, of, of doing uh, what Thor does here. As, as in to, to, to just kind of like check out. Be, and 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 and, and be like, hey, I'm 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 having I'm having a great time. Everything's cool. I'm not worried about all of those things that I was that I used I, to be worried. Yeah, about. that I used to be worried about. Before. Like saving the world, or exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Spots or whatever. Um, but it's 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 really interesting because he he's um he's let go of um of all of those sorts of um, uh, preoccupations that he had in those um, uh, in those previous movies because because what he wanted from Infinity War he has achieved in the first kind of 10 15 minutes of of I Endgame. went for the head yeah yeah, we do, which we, which by the way is it's uh, a really great line. Yeah, um, for the kind of like to 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 say something to the kind of fan culture, I guess. But yeah, he 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 spent all of these movies trying to kind of like be somebody, and then feels like he's 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 finally going to um going to be able to make make um 
make up for mistakes he's made and then it doesn't really it, it, it doesn't it kind really of work feels out. um hollow uh, yeah hollow so the, the, then his, his 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 kind of reaction to that is is to um sort of uh, give up um and i and um and everything with with his um uh with his mother as well like fe- feel feeling feeling like um because it's very difficult to um, to live with your failure when uh, when it comes to um, uh, interacting with one's mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like like, like the the, the um, it's very difficult to kind of uh, ju- justify um, uh, life choices kind of <laughs> that that Thor is making. And then, when like, his mother's actually talking to him. Exactly. The, so, and the, the the even like the line at the end. Oh, I need a salad. <laughs> <laughs> it's horribly passive aggressive. But no, I like this is the thing with Thor. Actually, Tony, do you want to talk a bit about Thor? Because I know you had a, a sort of a, a strong opinion about him earlier on. Well, I I just thought that it was a it was a it was a funny joke. It was a gimmick, bit of a gimmick joke, and. I it, it, I don't know whether whether it completely worked all the way through. I mean, I, I quite like the stuff with his mother and the intersection with the dark world. I thought I thought that was all fun, but he didn't necessarily need to be Fat Thor for, to do any of that. You know, he, 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 you didn't need to have that visual gag. And obviously, it's the whole, you know, sort of again another little commentary on the fact that everyone goes into a lot of. Well, this might sound really sort of um, unfair to people, but a lot of men and women go into a lot of these movies for Chris Hemsworth to see him, you know, buff and shirtless and looking incredibly, you know, Adonis like, and then he's, (laughs) you know, he's walking around with a big fat pouch. But I think it, it's just one of those things where it felt like the Russos and the writers trying to capture a little bit of that Taika Waititi irreverence and, overt comedy with Thor you know because Ragnarok really figured out how to use that character he figured out really the, how to get the best out of Thor and it was a little well, it's, it's worth noting actually that the fat Thor was originally a deleted scene from Ragnarok ah okay um, and there's so like the original plan was Ragnarok would include a flashback to again homaging 80s cinema Loki and Thor in high school where Loki right. would be a goth and Thor would be fat um and I wonder, I suspect that may have been an influence here, much like the Avengers used Edward Norton's idea of the Hulk trying to commit suicide, which Marvel were like, no, you can't open a Hulk movie with the Hulk trying to commit suicide. <laughs> uh, but Whedon was like, okay, well, I can work it into dialogue. And I wonder if, like, the Rousseau brothers and uh, the writers were like, okay, fine, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll make that work, even though we deleted that scene from Ragnarok. Mm, well, maybe. I mean, you know, that that's, that, I didn't know that, and that's... Uh... You know, it, it may, maybe it would have worked better in that context with with Ragnarok in in it being more of an overt sort of high school joke. And obviously, in this, what they're trying to do is play on the big Lebowski. You know, to the point that Tony Stark even calls him Lebowski. You know, and he's dressed like the dude, and he's sitting there in the chair. Is he asleep? I think he's dead. And in that sense, it, there are some funny moments with that. But I just think that you've got to be you've got to be careful not to tip Thor too heavily into him being a complete pastiche caricature and i think that ragnarok got the balance quite right and i think this sometimes tips him a little bit too far into just a complete buffoon really and i don't know if that fully worked for me 
Well, I think if you go, I think it's, I think it's, it's, sometimes it can be easier to get the pathos out if you don't go full kind of, um, uh, sincere, um, kind of super serious, you know, very earnest, um, uh, with, with, uh, uh, with a character like Thor. Because ultimately, you're you're making a a a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, I I I think I I think they do manage to 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 connect emotionally, and it's 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 a difficult. You would. I don't know. I was impressed with it because I I would have thought that it would be a difficult thing to accomplish while getting, and I think Thor Ragnarok does it as well. Is 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 getting us to really care about uh, Thor on 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 a deeper level, while also being um, a comic relief. I, I I love Thor Ragnarok. I think Thor Ragnarok's fantastic. I absolutely adore the characterization of Thor in Thor Ragnarok. Where and again, it's a, this goofball thing, and I think the movie does it rather well. One of the things that I really love about Thor Ragnarok, in particular its handling of Thor, is that like so much of while he's a goofball and he's very silly and he's a source of jokes and we laugh at him and he has these like again, Hemsworth has fantastic comic timing. Doing telling that story about how, you know, oh Loki turned into a snake because he knows I like snakes, so I picked up the snake. Ah, I turned into Loki and he stabbed me. Um and it's just like Hemsworth has this natural sort of comic gift for that sort of stuff, and it works really well, but Ragnarok underpins that with, again, a genuine sense of heroism. Thor spends so much of Ragnarok uttering the line because that's what heroes do. And while the film treats it as a joke, at one point he's hit on the head with a ball that he's bounced off the wall trying to smash a window to like make a dramatic exit. But he very earnestly believes that and he very sincerely is invested in that. And the film genuinely believes that as well. Ragnarok is the journey of Thor who is repeatedly confronted with the possibility that Asgard is not what he thought it was, but also with the opportunity to escape from his life and his obligations as king. He's exiled to the planet of Sakaar. Um, while there, he meets Loki. Loki pretty much tells him what we should do is we should stay in space and have fun space adventures and not go back to Asgard and you shouldn't be king because that'll be a nightmare and it's horrific and brutal. And Thor's like, no, because that's what heroes do. Then he meets Valkyrie, who has turned into this alcoholic, despondent wreck of herself because she's experienced this massive trauma and she doesn't want anything to do with Asgard or any obligation that she has to Asgard and its royal family. And Thor is like to her... No, you go back and you confront your problems because that's what heroes do. And my issue with this movie in particular, and this treatment of Thor, is that like I completely understand the idea of Thor losing purpose and Thor losing his way and Thor doubting himself and questioning himself, right? But again, this is the Captain America thing where like Thor isn't Lebowski. Thor isn't a guy living in his parents' basement. Thor is the man with the power of a god. Thor no, but, has but, the power to like, summon like, lightning. Like Captain America, uh, um, Thor, it feels like he's he's given enough. And and, and, they, 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 and that's fine. Go off and travel the world without your hammer. There's a moment but he where he hands it, it over to 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 um, to other people, like the way he hands it over to Valkyrie. 
but again, that's very much a sense of it's one thing for like Asgard to decide they want Valkyrie to rule or for Valkyrie to decide that she wants to rule. The way that it's presented with Thor is very much like he wants to be a fun superhero who travels around the galaxy with a giant hammer. By the way, while the skewing leadership immediately shows up and starts taking charge of Quail's spaceship. Um, but like there's this real disconnect where you can tell, again, this is being very cynical. It's like. Thor worked very well with the Guardians cast in Infinity War. So for the next movie, we're going to have him interact with them. So we need to get him out of Asgard somehow, even if that means completely undercutting the character arc that he had in Ragnarok and his motivation, stuff like that. And like it, it would be one thing for Thor to decide that he's not doing it and give up. But Thor, at one point when he's in Asgard in 2013, summons the hammer and the power of the hammer to him. As if to say, well, look, I'm not giving up the power. I may be giving up, like, the throne, the responsibilities, the social obligations that those impose on me, but I'm quite happy to keep this giant hammer that allows me to throw lightning around. Um, and it just, it feels, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being old-fashioned. Maybe I like my superheroes with the, like, with great power comes great responsibility or consequences. You, you, don't, or... you don't want these movies to maintain a status quo especially especially the, the 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 way the way this movie positions itself at the end and at the beginning of something so it 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 it, it doesn't really kind of um make sense to me to have your characters kind of um um just maintain your expectations you know and but i mean but thor hasn't had any expect like thor hasn't been ruler of asgard since like he was ruler of asgard between the closing credit sequence of ragnarok and the starting credit sequence of infinity war that was when he was ruler of asgard um and that's so it, it's not like it's pushing the character forward it's more like pushing him back because it's like let him have these crazy superhero adventures like we expect him to have if that makes sense maybe again maybe i'm being too cynical about yeah this. but i i, I think pulling pull, pulling um thor back um um pulling him off with his hammer um, <laughs> the hammer pulls you off <laughs> um kind of make makes makes sense for 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 thor because he he's been born into this, you know. He yeah. was he wasn't something like somebody like Captain America who wanted it. Yeah. Um. And uh, but uh, isn't that like is that what superheroes largely are to a certain extent? Like Spider Man didn't ask to be bitten by a spider. Superman didn't ask to be the last dying relative of the planet. Like one of the ideas of heroism is that you find yourself in a situation where you can make a difference to the world and to people. And you have a moral obligation to do so. Or like, again, this is where I feel like I'm being very old fashioned and very sort of like, you know, moralistic in my view of what heroes should be. But they are heroes, right? Am I am I reading too much into this, Tony? No, I, I think I think there is a, a lot, you know, a lot of that in play. I think I think that I, th I think with 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 something like this, it, it again goes back to the, the tone that you that you're looking for with something like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think part of the reason that it's it's been so successful and why it manages to balance various different tones in in a lot of these films is that it it's always aware of the fact that even with these kind of you know moral complexities and cosmic scales and things like that at the end of the day it's not something to be taken 
massively seriously. And I think I think that's something that gives it a little bit of freedom and brevity, but at the same time can compromise it being truly meaningful and truly deep and truly emotional for a lot of for some people. And I think this is this is the this is the balance it has to it has to play, you know. And something like Fat Thor is a, is a very clear indication of how they're willing, I think, to compromise on some level with certain characters about the about some of the some of the areas it, it goes down. I I don't know. It, it's it's what it, it it's like the alchemy of of the MCU. It's that that has both made it be so successful and makes it on the one hand so enjoyable, but on the other hand, you wonder sometimes, I sometimes wonder, and Endgame really made me wonder about this, whether or not, in the long run, it's going to be particularly powerful and meaningful as a piece of work. And that's and that's something that I think is constantly in flux now with this with these films, each time they come around. What I would say, though, Tony, and again, this is where I feel like I'm being overly harsh on the film because people are like, ah, you're being you're thinking too much about a comic book movie. It's meant to be mass audience appealing and it's meant to be broad and it's meant to sort of be universal and have this sort of stuff. And it's like, I think a lot of the Marvel movies do do that very well. I think like we talked about Thor Ragnarok, I think, deals with these ideas. It has these big ideas and it deals with them very well. It deals with things like post-colonialism. Iron Man 3 deals with things like the military industrial complex while also being like a really fun 80s buddies action movie. Like, my issue with Infinity War and Endgame, to a certain extent, is that they feel like they gesture towards something big and serious and ominous. And, like, there's a there's a heftiness, there's a weight to, like, Infinity War and to Endgame that never feels earned to me. And again, there's this thing where... And again, this is... Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it. The argument that so much of superhero cinema is about, like, replaying the traumas of the 21st century. The influence of 9-11 on things like, say, Man of Steel, to pick an example. But Avengers, the original Avengers from 2012, where you have a hole in the sky over New York through which madness rains down. Um, And you have this idea that even here you have this trauma which has happened collectively to the psyche. You have this idea of memorials being erected to the lost. And the idea of a world that is still... It's incredible, actually, that scene. Uh, where where seeing, Scott seeing, visits the... Seeing that, like anyone who's been to... Because um, I think this is in San Francisco. It is indeed, yeah. yeah. But anyone who's been to Washington, D.C., there's all of the... It's there, the Vietnam, there's like, isn't it? There's the Vietnam Memorial. There's the Korea uh, Memorial. There, there's um, um, these very kind of um, affecting... And people who've been to Berlin as well. Yeah, the really. Holocaust uh, the Holocaust Memorial is, is something. You just feel it. Uh, yeah. Which is, is, you know, even if you don't know what it is. You, I turned a corner when I was walking through Berlin at night. And I didn't know what it was, but I felt something. Uh, and it's it's amazing. It's powerful. It's it's visceral. Which is, and it's interesting, I guess, that a, that 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 a, a comic move, comic book movie, is trying to evoke um, that, evoke that, and does it well. I think without 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 it seeming um, in 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 bad, bad taste. taste. Yeah. I be, mean, be, 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 because it it. Like like the the these are movies that that don't take themselves too seriously, but also take themselves quite seriously. Yeah, mm. that's the balance. Mm. Yeah, did and 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 I think um, it's what maybe what maybe is a problem um, 
in this movie is it's it's giving the the characters what the characters themselves um want as 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 in um with 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 Bruce and the Hulk, there's always been this this uh, this terrible conflict. Yeah, and he he's like, hey, I'm 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 actually really happy now. I've made this made this thing to uh, work for me. I'm ignop- I'm I'm obnoxiously kind of uh, pleased with myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and probably at one point, uh, before before we see him here, um, Nat was like. Just so you know, I'm not into this. He's like, don't care. <laughs> um, 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 uh, yeah, uh, 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 that's fine. I'm the Hulk now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 you have these all of these other characters kind of getting getting to getting to have what they want. Yeah. And you you see you see with you see with Tony that Tony thinks he has. Um, what uh, what he's always wanted, but the family uh, life with Morgan and Pepper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. because um, the the proof uh, that that Tony Stark has a heart, which is a lovely moment. That's the moment where somebody broke out sobbing at, at several of the screenings I attended. Yeah, no, it it, it, it was it, it was an incredible moment. But but um, he he wanted he wanted that I think at the, at at the end of uh, at the end of Avengers. He felt it felt like that was his kind of culmination yeah. as a character to finally kind of um, right uh, off in the messianically of the pepper, kind yeah. of uh, oh, give that. give his, uh, his life his life to save the world. Yes, yeah, where he rode up with the nuke into the into sort of the fleet, the alien fleet, exactly. New York. But didn't get that closure. Closure, yeah, yeah. which which uh, which which he does get here. Yeah. And as well, like like getting to 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 meet his father, and knowing as well that his father um, uh, died when he was a a a child or a teenager, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the um the literal atonement with the father and the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was a teenager. He he he, he was, was Robert Downey of, Jr. Uh, from Weird Science. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. It was Weird Science. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is also how they brought young Robert Downey Jr. into Civil War. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, what about yourself, Tony, in terms of Tony? Um, do you have any thoughts? Well, I, well, I, I think it works. You know, I think, I think it fits. I think it's, it, it, it's been going that way for, for years. I think it's, it is, like you say, it's, his, he, it's the hero's journey that he's been on. Um, I, th- I think, I think when, uh, the thing, the thing with Endgame is that, it's one of those things where a lot of people were able to sort of guess to some extent where this was all going to go. You know, I think a lot of people guessed that they would have to write their way out of this with using time travel. A lot of people guessed that it was either going to be Tony or Cap who were going to go because we knew yeah. we knew that Chris Evans was leaving. We or both, yeah, or both, yeah, or both. Although. I think it, which we kind of got because well, yeah, we did. isn't going to be another Captain America yeah. starring Chris Evans. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's like a Clint Eastwood directs. I yeah. really liked sort of I really liked sort of Chris Evans like Robert uh, sorry not Robert, sorry Clint Eastwood impression. He's like yeah, he you want tell you want to tell me about her? <laughs> Do you feel lucky, punk? <laughs> he was a surprisingly convincing old man actually with that makeup. Yeah. Um but I yeah, you're right. It, it is it is an ending for for both of them, but I think it means a bit more 
that Tony dies in terms of it thematically holding together. Um, uh, so, so no, I, I, I did like it, and I, and I think it, it, it's, you know, it, I think the moment that he, 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 he was five years in the future and he had a daughter, I think we all should have seen it coming. Really, I think that was the point where you were like. Oh, this isn't going to end well, is it? I'm just going to christen my boat. It's called the Live Forever. I'm one day away from retirement. <laughs> so no, I liked it. I did like it really. I, I think I think those aspects worked well. Really, those those weren't my misgivings. It's also a goodbye to the Hulk. Because what do you do with the Hulk now? Mm. After this point, well, the issue is Universal like have the rights to the solo movie, so that's never happening, basically. Right. Um, and the issue is because the Hulk is the character who gets featured in these other heroes' movies, he's the one who gets bounced around between writers and directors. That's why his character tends to change. He doesn't have the uniformity of purpose of, say, Captain America, whose movies were all written by the same writing team, for example. Or, like, you know, Avengers and Age of Ultron, or Guardians of the Galaxy with James Gunn. So, yeah, the Hulk gets bounced around a lot and so sort of changes. Um, but, I mean, I think Ruffalo's under contract for another couple. Very quickly before we wrap up, I think the only one left to talk about is Hawkeye of the original six. Do we have any thoughts about Hawkeye? Does anybody mm. care? I'm really happy him. that he gets to kill. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, because like, like for for Romanov and and um, and Hawkeye, or I guess like um, it was pretty, um, yeah, probably prob- probably um, some of the Avengers missed the the catharsis of taking uh, a life. Yeah. <laughs> I really... It's weird because this was a roller coaster of Darren's opinion of Hawkeye. Darren hates Hawkeye. But the opening scene made me care about Hawkeye. Then, in like, before Hawkeye even appeared on screen again, I was like, screw this guy. Again, this is the thing with Hawkeye where he becomes the Punisher, right? Which Mm. is fine. You can do lots of interesting things with the Punisher. You can do lots of interesting concepts and you can have a lot of an interesting story that you want to tell. What you probably shouldn't do is get the Punisher, take him on a time travel mission to save the universe, <laughs> and get him to send back with his wife and kids like nothing yeah. happened. This is the thing when I talk about the idea of those five years and the problem they represent. Like, Laura Barton, right? So what happens when Laura Barton comes back and she's like, Clint, I've noticed you've got a samurai sword now. <laughs> uh, you've been very moody. And that mullet there, does that mean anything? What did you get up to in the five yeah. years I was gone? And Clint's like, oh, nothing. I cleaned the yard. <laughs> the shed. Certainly like, didn't kill a whole bunch of criminals. Yeah, I've noticed you've angry outbursts <laughs> and then start crying and can't perform sexually and are just generally a mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what the hell happened while I was out? Um, but yeah, yeah that, that, the thing, that's the thing with, with Hawkeye. And this is the thing where we talk about the dichotomy between wanting to, being take seri- wanted to, wanting to be taken seriously and like being light and goofy and fun, where it's like the Hawkeye stuff is a story of trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and like violence and this idea of nihilism on the verge, on this sort of like huge scale. But it also then ends up being this life-affirming, happy story of a man who gets his family back. But it should have been, like, um, somebody coming back to, like, Nat, Nat, coming back to his family... And and saying like he he died to save you. He exactly. died a hero. Well, that's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. Be, be, because there's nothing that he can offer now to them. 
Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. That, that, <laughs> that, sounds really that sounds a bit kind of extreme. But to be fair, like I mean, the way that Rhodey but talks it, about visiting that cartel room in like um, in Mexico, where he's like, "I don't want to find him." Like, I wonder if there's like a conversation with the other Avengers at the funeral where they're like, "Should should we tell Laura?" I feel like we should probably really, tell Laura. It it makes no sense for 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 Hawkeye to get Nash at the end to be the one. Who who sacrificed yeah, mm. as opposed to Hawkeye. Yeah, because it, like 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 um, Hawkeye has become the person he has become because of the uh, loss he has suffered. So it's very important for him to redeem that loss. To yeah, to 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 right that wrong because of the people, the 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 people who were never supposed to be affected by. Kind of uh, by by, these by what he does. It, yeah, these people who don't go out um, and like fight uh, aliens. And it's in a god city, and stuff, yeah. exactly. Um, whereas Nat um, has so much um, uh, still to live for, yeah. I think. And and she's also like this is the thing she, where she's become um, quite important as well. Yeah. And she's redeemed herself. Like, I understand why Nat offers Clint the chance to go with her because she's like, well, look, I killed a bunch of people as well. So I completely understand why you deserve a second chance. And you're like, yes, Nat, but you were also programmed to do that from birth. You didn't decide to go on a killing spree around the world. You're very yeah. harsh. I am very harsh. Um, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> like the, reason, the reason character speaking why Nat goes and, get Clint, goes and get Clint is because she recognizes herself in him and believes that he can be redeemed. It's like that thing where um, somebody insists on paying, like maybe once <laughs> or twice, and then... And then you just like obviously they really want to pay. <laughs> so you think that should have just been like, well, I really miss Hawkeye, but he was really committed. I did yeah, the I did yeah. the minimum. I, well, I actually don't want to die. <laughs> yeah. I zapped him, so, and, and 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 he was pretty insistent on dying. <laughs> yeah. So I just let him go ahead and yeah. die. Yeah, um, I'll probably tell Linda something a bit nicer than that. Yeah, um, it's weird how the Red Skull is there. I just find it odd how the Red Skull, the Nazi villain, is like the arbiter of truth and the Soul Stone. Um, it's like, yeah, so what do you do? And it's like, so you've got a giant red skull and uh, you fought for the Nazis in the Second World War, but uh, you seem like you're on the level when you talk about this whole sacrifice, <laughs> Dealey. Well, well, maybe it's um, maybe that's a pointed comment on our time that, you know, the Nazis are the one <laughs> controlling the truth. The that... mm. Yeah. Mm. But it, it, was, it was brilliant as well that um, going into that, I was thinking... How did they not know that that was the deal with the soul right. stone? But because of course they don't know. My, no, my, Nebula, yeah. Nebula mentions it. My, my, my problem... And this is one of those... Oh, sorry, go for it, Tony. My, my, my problem with it, with that, is that it, it didn't... It, for me, it didn't have to be Hawkeye and Nat in that situation. It could just as easily have been Rhodey and Nebula going there to do that. You know? And it felt it felt like it was a very contrived way of offing one of those two characters. And ultimately... Offing, it was the surprise death. Everybody knew that either Tony or Cap was probably going to die. You know, this this was the one they wanted people to go. Oh my God, they've killed Black Widow. But I, I because she's got a solo movie. Right, well, her, well, her well, solo movie is the next movie. Exactly. Out. So I, I was apart from the fact it felt really arbitrary, and I didn't really feel a lot. Mainly because I feel like the MCU slightly outgrown the character in a way. So she's kind of flitted between things and not really solidified. It doesn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't do what is more than likely going to be a prequel movie before 
this film because I think if anything her death would have meant more had we known her story had we found out what happened in Budapest what you know the red in a ledger all this stuff but whereas what's going to happen now is we're going to get a film weird weirdly a prequel film for a dead character and which seems odd and I just which will make 700 million dollars well yeah it'll do very well and I'm sure it could be a really good movie I'm, I am looking forward to it in fairness as a piece of story but at the same time I just felt like she was a bit robbed really and I, and it just felt like they needed to kill someone and you could have almost, almost needed Two-Face to the side flipping the coin to decide which one goes you know because either of them could have been disposed of at that point but it just feels like it, it didn't even have to be them and that was my problem with it. You know, there were certain elements of this that... My other issue, actually, while we're on this subject, right, in terms of things that I didn't quite understand, I'm not sure that quite how it all rolled out at the end with Tony being the one to put on the gauntlet and do all that, is that really out of 14 billion, like, versions of, of the of the timeline, <laughs> the only way to do this? Like... <laughs> Because that that I love the idea that that Strange just didn't like Tony. Well, yeah, right. Strange was like, actually, I've seen four million where we win, but only one where we win and Tony dies. Right, but that well, like, it was so. That's because he called me a street magician. <laughs> but it seemed like such chance. It seemed like it was. Oh, it just happened. Tony's there. That's right place, right time. St- Strange puts his finger up in the air and goes, mm. <laughs> right, and it's like okay. But I, I felt like when I came out of it, I was a bit like, well. How surely they could have come up with a more intricately sort of way where you come out Structured thinking, yeah, plan. there is no <laughs> way that could have happened any other way. And I kept thinking, well, maybe but, it could, it could, it could have rolled up in front of the Hulk, could have rolled up in front of Cap. It could, have, you know. The, the thing about it, though, Tony, is that in in the movie that we saw, that happened. But there, there, there's thirteen million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine <laughs> versions of of what happened that didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 like like there are all of these kind of like uh, possibilities. Um, it's like Darren was saying earlier. It's like oh, it's 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 terrible because there's all these uh, possible worlds that that they're destroying. That's all we ever do, Darren, is destroy <laughs> possible worlds. Wow. <laughs> With every choice that you With make, you're dooming you an make. entire yeah. civilization. But, uh, like, the the other possible world is, it, it like, has, has its, has, um, has, has that existence in a universe because it's a possibility. So we're 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 not taking anything away from anybody. The 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 only the only exception to that is um, is Thanos because um, he's inevitable. He 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 is inevitable. So he he is the kind of um, a divine um, necessity. Yeah. Um, well, he's Thanatos. He's death. He's, yeah. He's this idea of a moving force. I mean, that's the issue is that like, you know, the idea that Strange sees this one world, this one possibility where everything works out suggests that like Thanos is inevitable, but the outcome of this movie is also inevitable as well. Mm. And it's not that they're in opposition or contrasted with one another. It's just that Thanos happens to be in a slightly different form, if that makes sense. Mm. Thanos is just a representation of a different form of that, if that makes sense. 
that sort of follows from there. Like, if there's only one way that this movie could ever end, and there probably is if you're being bleak about it because it's this movie, the one that we watched. But, like, the idea that, like, Strange is looking there and has watched the movies 14 million times and he's decided that the, this is the one that's going to happen, that removes any sense of agency or choice from the characters to get to that point because Strange has seen that it's happened, has decided not to tell anybody. That means that, you know, the choices that lead there... The ones that he can't affect directly were always inevitable because they exist outside of his control, but happened anyway. Well, he even says it to Tony, doesn't he? At one point, he says, yeah, "You know, if you, I yeah. if I tell you what happens, it won't happen." You know, as in he's controlling essentially the destiny aspect. Because if he says, "Yeah, Tony, you're going to have to put the gauntlet on and die," you know that it's going to work out differently. It's true. It's that it is that whole idea of um, well, actually, it almost feels like it contradicts the whole time travel aspect that branched futures and decisions you make can create other timelines if anything it feels more like the lost you know concept of time travel in that everything that happened happened or will happen you know and we are on a very specific destiny course so it it it, it sort of you know doesn't hold you mean hot tub time machine wasn't accurate <laughs> and maybe this is this that's the thing maybe it, it is knowing about that. You know, there is that scene where they talk about all the time travel movies, which was fun. So it, it, it is tipping one wink to the fact that, you know, time travel movies are notoriously hard to actually pin down because it's, you know, it, it's a, right now it's a fictional construct. It's not, you know, it's not a real science yeah. in the sense of something that, that physically That isn't how is. time travel works, Tony. <laughs> exactly. So it is picking holes to some extent, but it, it's not so much about the science of it. It's more about, the logistics of the of the storytelling and for things to you know emotional payoff quite often can work more if the story is really well figured out if it's really you know put together in in a way that doesn't feel mechanical but it feels organic and that's that's very difficult to do i think with a story like this and that's why i think overall it it does work it does come out well it does you you know there, there are some great reactions to it um and and i think to you've got to be yeah you have got to be cautious at unpicking it too heavily really because it is ultimately a piece of popcorn fiction that's it's, meant to entertain you know every everything is highly unlikely but we're told that <laughs> like, yeah, we're told yeah. how unlikely all of this is yeah like like the the so you can't then it 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 takes away your power to kind of say, oh, that that would never happen, or this wouldn't wouldn't uh, doesn't make sense. Well, this for, is that thing that Luke for... says about like the movie getting there before you can. Exactly, because yeah. the, the 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 even even like simple things like uh, Tony Stark is like, you think I haven't thought about time travel? I've thought about all about time travel. Um, uh, it's it it's 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 not gonna work. Trust me. And then it's like. Um, he spends the same amount of time that that uh, that Mister Incredible spends learning new math <laughs> to, 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 to figure out time travel. Um, I do love that, and I love the idea that there are people online complaining about Captain Marvel being overpowered in the film or being a Mary Sue when Tony takes ten minutes to solve time travel. Um, but actually, just I think this sort of like because he goes, but but the movie is really good yeah. with that because he goes over to to to, to Potts and it's like, what are you what are you reading? Composting. Um, he doesn't want to talk about it. Um, but um, I think that like, so we're sort of wrapping up now. Is there anything else in the movie that we haven't discussed already that you'd like to talk about? Anything that jumps out? Any particular scenes or beats or characters that we haven't discussed already that you think sort of merit discussion, Tony? Um, 
trying to think now, really. I, th- I think the one thing that really stood out for me was how well Ant-Man comes out of this whole thing. You know, I think he... What, what, I watched Ant-Man and the Wasp a few, uh, a few days before Endgame for the first time, and I didn't really like the film particularly much. I think it's very stodgy and just doesn't completely work. But... I've, I always felt like the characters in those films are actually better than the script, certainly in the sequel, you know? Um, and I, I, I really like them. And he, I think Endgame does for Ant-Man what Infinity War did for Stephen Strange in terms of making him re- a really important cog part of the, you know, the, the setup and working really well with a lot of these characters and really sort of shining in that spotlight. And I think that the, it, it, it really made... Like it, like Infinity War made me really excited for Doctor Strange two. I think this has made me excited for Ant Man and the Wasp three. You know, Ant Man three or whatever it will be called. So he he came out really really well. I think they did a great job there with him. I actually quite liked if we're naming our favorite supporting character or even favorite character. Nebula's the character that I think was the underrated mm, MVP mm. of the film. Um, Karen Gillan is fantastic in the role but she's the one of the rare characters that has an arc and I've complained a bit on this podcast about like the film not necessarily understanding how the passage of time works and sort of like glossing over this idea of like time changing people to the point where for example the film suggests that like Loki escaping in 2012 is the same as having the character resurrect in 2018 ignoring like six years of character development in between for example Thanos is an exception because Thanos is inevitable but the idea that Thanos is the same character at the climax of um, Endgame that he was the climax of infinity war despite having killed gamora uh, to get to the climax of infinity war the idea that he's a he's a stand-in for himself even though he's from five years or four or you know at that stage uh four he's years a man who past. makes plans yeah so um so he's always going to the same place yeah but um but anyway like Despite having those criticisms, Gamora, sorry, not Gamora, Nebula works rather well for me because she's the character that emphasizes the idea of time and how time changes us because you have these two versions of herself. You have this version of herself who is a slave to her father, who is like so desperate for his praise and his validation that she will do anything and be complicit in the destruction of all life uh, on the planet. And you have this version of herself who ironically has become like more of a person and even that sequence at the start where she's playing table football with tony where um where he's like oh you scored and he's like i would like to play again um which is just adorable but gillen is amazing in it and i think that's a kind of appropriate for a number of reasons most obvious being like the character of nebula was important to the original infinity saga so it's nice to see that little nod there but also karen gillen as as an actor um her most famous role being stephen moffat's doctor who which I suspect may have been a slight influence on this, given that like Ant-Man literally calls the mission a time heist, which is a script again, written by Stephen Moffat uh, for one of those seasons. But the idea of the characters going back along their own timeline and revisiting past episodes or adventures and being edited in, in a way that like makes sense in terms of closing their story is something that Moffat did repeatedly over the course of his run, but most notably in the first season with Karen Gillan. So I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, she's also really great. Um, she's really, really great in that. Um, do you have a favorite supporting character or favorite kind of character? Well, other than I, I, I was, um, I was disappointed. I guess that there wasn't more um, attachment in this in this movie to to Black Panther. His um, his kind of king's guard. Is, is the Dormelage, yeah. Yeah, is 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 in this movie, but isn't really given very much. Yeah. That, that, um... Here's the thing. I it took me. I've seen this movie four times. Third time, I stayed for the credits, and I noticed that Winston Duke was in the credits 
right? Winston Duke, who plays uh, Umbaku, the leader of the Mountain Tribe, right? He's great. He's the guy who does in Bombay. Um, he's the guy who sort of he's the, he's the you know if you've seen Black Panther, he yeah, probably yeah. Is. Um, and I when I saw his name in the credits of this movie, I was like, wait, he was he was in this movie? Um, and he pops up in the background over Thor's shoulder at one point. Michael Douglas. Yes. Well, Michael Douglas gets his own short sequence in flashback, at least with the CGI face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I just like that is true. Yeah, it's... Winston Duke appearing over Thor's shoulder for a second. Also, Natalie Portman. Um, yeah. And this, is, this is the thing with the use like, of Thor: yeah. The Dark World. Thor: The Dark World is a strange choice to use in this film until you realize exactly why they did it. Actors who appear in Marvel Studios films typically sign contracts for five, three or five films, right? So. What happened with The Dark World was it was such a disaster that they did a clean slate on Ragnarok. Natalie Portman didn't come back and they killed off the character of Thor's mother, right? Now, the reason why Thor doesn't talk to his father when he goes to Asgard is because Anthony Hopkins already used up his three films on his Marvel contract. But because they killed Freya, they could get Rene Rousseau back um, and she had a third film to fulfill. And because this is the thing with Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman had swore that she didn't want to do any more Thor movies, but she still had one in her contract. What she did for this, do you know how, what Natalie Portman contributed to Endgame? Keeping in mind that she gets her own solo title card at the end of the film. What was Natalie Portman's contribution to Endgame? I don't know. A single line of dialogue recorded in an audio booth. Uh. They used archive footage of her from the dark room and superimposed Rocket onto it. The only thing that Natalie Portman contributed of original value to uh, Endgame was the line, Do you have any pants? Oh, I guess these will do. Um, that's heard in the background <laughs> while uh, Rocket and Thor are kind of creeping up on a room, which is remarkable for an actor who gets their own like little title card at the end of the movie. Yeah, that, no, that that um, that is incredible. Well, so does what William Hurt does as well, and he doesn't have any lines; he just stands around at the funeral. <laughs> He's in the Incredible Hulk. He is. I, the, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was I was looking at William Hurt and uh, thinking, oh, he's in this too. Yeah, because uh, I just watched kind of like half of the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Um, uh, and Kobe Smulders as well also gets her own title card despite not having a line as well. Uh, but yeah, is there anything else you want to discuss? Anything that we haven't discussed already? Can I? Um, I think it, it's it it's mad that we haven't talked about Captain Marvel, but I think maybe the movie is to blame for that. Because um, like she she has um, incredible um, uh, uh, parts in in this movie and it, it starts to kind of become uh captain marvel's deal yeah that 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 that, that she's away for long periods of time that, yeah. that, that's how we're introduced to her yeah um having been uh, absent by, since uh since um obviously her own movie in the 90s and exactly. arriving Pedro the, at the end nick, of nick fury kind of like uh, uh texting this person we discovered that yeah yeah that there's been a a, a, a very long period of time then we have, um, but it, 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 we we have her arriving to um, uh, to to save um, uh, Tony Stark, and we we, but it it, it, it she doesn't what she, she what she gets to do in this movie is be um, an incredible um, super powered. Uh, she's a living missile she powers her yeah she powers herself she plows through walls she plows through a ship at one point like a sentient torpedo yeah but i I would i would like to see i would have considering how important she is in terms of like her um 
just uh, power and her ability to 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 kind of help them achieve what they need to uh, achieve. achieve in in um, as a practical source of exactly she she deserves more um, focus of a focus yeah well that's that's the thing is that like like infinity war was shot before black panther and so they took a gamble on how popular black panther would be which is amazing when you watch infinity war because there's so much black panther there apparently they added characters in reshoots to the battle of wakanda again winston duke was not supposed to appear in infinity war until he became a breakout character and they were like feck it you're in the movie you're in the movie or uh, okio who got upgraded to the title credits in uh, endgame because they were like you were great in black panther so you're in infinity war as well and you're in Endgame. Um, the thing with this is that this was shot long before Captain Marvel. Right. So they, A, had no idea what was going to happen, like how she was going to play. Or maybe they knew exactly how it was going to play. Yeah. Uh, but they, <laughs> oh, if you're being cynical. But I also think that it's a case of Larson not having necessarily figured out the character as well and asking. So if you were giving her focus, you'd need her to have figured out characterization before having shot her own origin movie. And I can see that being an issue. Now, to be fair. Because I saw the look that she gives uh, Thor and I was like, I want to see them in more scenes <laughs> together. together. Yeah. yeah. Do you want her to tug his hammer? <laughs> what? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> to a... pull, sorry, pull his hammer. <laughs> that's a different film. Um, anyway, sorry, that's yeah. inappropriate. Yeah, it's like, the hammer pulled you off. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you ride the hammer. <laughs> well, the hammer rides you. Um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, under, I understand why it is. And I also suspect that it's also not to take away too much attention from the big three Avengers who are the focal point of this film, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I suppose there is maybe an argument to be had for um what for 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 kind of giving you a starter portion yeah of of captain marvel and this. i'm wanting more and yeah and and saying no you can't have more you have to have your main chorus yeah. well, i mean you you watched infinity war before you saw black panther and i presume it did a similar sort of thing for you like didn't you you saw infinity war before you saw black panther i did yeah. and did it make you curious to watch black panther or to want to see more of wakanda the wonderful world of wakanda it certainly did, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, Tony, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay, good. Perfect. I think, I think, I think, I think that's yeah. I think it's just yeah. that. Um, I, 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 I don't think there'll ever be a film like this again. I think, I think that that was the that was the main thing that came out of it for me at the end. I think in terms of the MCU, I, maybe even in terms of comic book movies, I. I think there is certainly with how it ends in terms of the sheer scale and magnitude of, of what they try and put on screen. I think this will be a rarity in some senses. And that's not to say it's a, you know, an absolute masterpiece of cinema or it's the, you know, the apex of cinema and not, 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 not at all. But I think in terms of the, the scale and the ambition and simply bringing so many different characters and threads into, into one place, I think we were we won't we won't see an end game quite the same way again, and I think that makes it in its own way quite quite special, really. Yeah, that's the thing. It, again, like end game as an event of itself is like it's on a scale that we talked about at the start of this podcast. It's almost impossible to comprehend, 
and this idea of a big monocultural moment where everybody is talking about this one film and the idea that like we talk on this podcast a lot about cinema and about what cinema is and and what we love about it cinema in large part is like a communal experience it's a shared experience it's going into a darkened room with a bunch of strangers staring at a screen seeing what is the same image but having something else everybody having their own unique experience but also experiencing vicariously the emotions of the group and like endgame for all my problems with it and i've probably been the harshest of the three of us on it that is a remarkable experience in that sense because when you go when you went into that cinema when i went into that cinema at the weekend it wasn't just with the people in that room at oh the it, time it was that the that cinema was you were going into yeah. when you yeah. say you walked into a darkened room with a, with a, bunch with a of group strangers. of strangers yeah uh, and it was kind of living vicariously yeah. through them uh, this was three the hours it was great fun uh, very exciting pulses were definitely raised there was sobbing when i was done uh, but yeah, no, there was this sort of like, it was really, um, but it, it was, and it wasn't just like the 200 people in the cinema with me. It was a global thing. It was a huge moment. It was an event. And as cynical as I can be about the movie, and I have been very cynical, I find something very pure and affecting and sincere in that, if that makes sense. And maybe, maybe I'm a shill. Maybe I'm not jaded enough. Maybe I'm overly romantic or maybe I... You know, I'm romanticizing the the industry and this idea of like fan culture and then this idea of like, you know, a massive multimedia conglomerate that owns 40% of the American entertainment market. But despite that, this felt like something big. It felt like an earthquake on a cultural level. And it was fascinating to watch on that level. And I'm really glad that I got to experience it, even if I wasn't necessarily happy with the movie itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, 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 People have, I guess, a a a, a problem with um, uh, Disney Corp. They, you know, just like to use the RoboCop terminology, swallowing these um, uh, um, uh, entertainment properties, yeah. but um, and companies. Like, yeah, if 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 um, if they keep making stuff this good, like they're 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 not making um, like Justice League or that's um, fair. <laughs> or be uh, a suicide squad or suicide squad or yeah yeah all right i think that about wraps it up but tony if people are looking for a bit more tony black in their lives where can they find you oh um if they want a bit more tony black in their lives they ought to check in the local asylum what, but... is, what, is, <laughs> what is the what is like the infinity war or end game climax version of like tony black if somebody's like yeah i want a screen full of tony black for a solid 40 minutes and just like thrown in my face where would they find <laughs> oh that's a disturbing image but if you really want that um best go to twitter at aj black writer um and you'll find links to all, any podcasts i do and any writing i do and bits and bobs like that yeah you'll get your fill there i, thought, I imagine perfect uh andrew um for yeah i i i kind of uh for for any podcast listeners who want um a bit of andrew they they should take uh tony stark's advice and and and, and get a life uh, the, 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 <laughs> i i i i think um i think i would um i think i i think i'll seed my uh my plug to um uh, Comedy Bang Bang uh, uh, just had their ten year anniversary, as in last Monday, had 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 their ten year anniversary. They released a ten hour podcast. Wow, craziness, right? That's insane. <laughs> Who, would Who would do, do something that? like that? <laughs> um, uh, 
and um yeah it's um it's a it's very different podcast to this one <laughs> um, only slightly yeah the, um it's um it's 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 a very silly show um it's uh it's very uh kind of um uh, 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 rude and irreverent at times they go uh, uh, places with their alternative humor that uh, that that are um are sometimes difficult to go sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um and it really got me in to um to to podcasts and ma- it it made uh, it made monday my one of my favorite days oh. of the week so this um, was your own personal end game yeah, <laughs> ten-year journey culminating in this. Well, I hope. Yeah, I, 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 um, um, I hope they're not finished. And it also kind of says something, I think, about fandom, because I started out kind of um fan of a, a fan of this show, and but it was a funny thing because I, I started out kind of liking the show, and but um, looking for uh, celebrities. That that that, that I knew recognized. that 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 I recognized, and then and then these people that I hadn't recognized before becoming the real celebrities, yeah. and now um, being someone who's watched it, who who's listened to the show for ten years, um, kind of uh, finding myself going back a lot to to kind of those early episodes, and and sometimes uh, doing that, that terrible fan thing of thinking, oh, it's no good anymore. And then discovering that these new characters um, are growing on me, and 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 that and that they're they're becoming uh, classics now. Um, so yeah, I I, I would um, um, I'd plug that. It's a very specific. It, 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 well, it feels not, appropriate not for a, the podcast for the episode that we've just had and what we've discussed. I suppose, yeah. yeah. Uh, very quickly, I would plug a number of influences on uh, Endgame, which I think are very, very good. Uh, for example, the TV show The Leftovers, which is massively underrated, massively underseen, uh, but is a kind of a huge influence on the first 40 minutes. Uh, Max I Richter. Yes, indeed, Max Richter did the music for it. Justin Thoreau, who looks absolutely spiffingly like John, Sla- John Slatterly, and also wrote Iron Man 2 as well, isn't it? And I wholeheartedly recommend it. It's a story about grief, law, and trauma and dealing with that Star Trek The Next Generation uh, which inspired the episode All Good Things was a major influence of the writing of this according to Kevin Feige so I'd wholeheartedly recommend Star Trek The Next Generation which is available on Netflix in high definition if you haven't seen it already uh, and Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who which obviously as we discussed was also an influence on this in terms of things like Time Heist um, you can follow the podcast online at At The 250 uh, we release regular episodes weekly next week uh, we're taking a bit of a week off we're going to be releasing the last seven hours of our 18 hour Twin Peaks live podcast which is uh, quite an accomplishment. Um, like if listening to it will be quite an accomplishment. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If yeah, if 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 you listen to it, like, yeah, we want to hear from you. <laughs> but no, so we'll be doing that, and then the week after, we'll hopefully be back with uh, Andy Hazel, who joined us for those some of those seven hours talking about Mary and Max, the Australian animated film, uh, which I'm very very much looking forward to seeing. Um, we'll be back next week. Take it easy, guys. Bye.